Hello and welcome aboard the Battleship Pretension. I am Tyler Smith. I'm David Bax. And thank you for listening. David? Yes. How you doing? I'm okay. Okay. All right. Yeah. That sounds loaded. Uh, I think I'm having like an allergy thing. It's one one of those cusp like, is this an allergy thing or am I about to get sick again? Which would suck because I was sick like three weeks ago. Yeah. Um, So I hope it's not, but it's been like all day. It's been like... Do you need a Claritin? Uh, I took, I took my own Claritin. Um, that's not going to help. Uh, but thanks. How are you? I'm doing fine. I, my, uh, my quarter is now officially over as of today. Um, I've, uh, graded a bunch of papers and tests and that sort of thing. And boy, it was, uh, it was a lot of fun, but a, a whole lot of work and tons and tons of reading of papers that are fine. <laughs> so... All right. Uh, I guess there's always the possibility that the students could listen to this, in which case... Well, you're, you're not naming names. That's true. Henry? There was no Henry. Okay. Uh, Attaboy, Henry. <laughs> um, how are our... That's, all, that's neither here nor there. How are our sponsors doing? I think they're doing fine. They're about to do better because they're about to get their money's worth. I'll tell you that right now. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so now this episode is brought to you by Devotion a short film by Victoria Angelique. The film is about Rebecca, a concert pianist in the 19, in 1960s England, who becomes pregnant. Now, between 1926 and 1976, the United Kingdom would force single pregnant women to place their children for adoption. Uh, play, place them up for adoption, pardon me. Rebecca, not wanting to give up her child, attempts to hide her child from the government with the aid of her midwife, Catherine, who risks imprisonment just for helping her. Uh, now, I, the, So this film is available on YouTube. It's about 15 minutes long. I've seen it, and I really enjoyed it. It's shot in black and white, and there it has some really beautiful cinematography. Remind us of the title again? Uh, Devotion. Devotion. Uh, the story I thought was very impactful, and it Honestly, it explored something I did not know about. I did not know that that was that was a rule for a while. Um, I mean, isn't that kind of where the premise of Philomena comes from, which is based on a true story that she was like, oh for, yeah, I guess, to I give guess up. so. I never saw Philomena, so I guess that'd be more in my mind. Um, and then there was another movie that I can't remember who was in it uh, called, I think, Oranges and Sunshine, which was about some of those kids who were forced to be given up for adoption adoption were uh, a bunch of them were sent to Australia to be adopted That's, there. Yes. I and remember that oranges and sunshine. I didn't uh, see that one either. That. So it's okay. Philomena is a great movie. Oranges and sunshine is okay. So yeah, it's uh so I, uh, you know the, the film it's, it's a low budget film, but I think it's, it doesn't necessarily show its budget that often. Um, and I, I thought it was very good. And so uh, listeners, you can click on, you can see the film by clicking on the ad at battleship It's on the side. It just says devotion. So, uh, so do check it out. We try to push um, independent filmmakers where we can. And uh, this is a film that is definitely worth watching. Um, now this episode is also brought to you by Mubi, a curated online cinema that brings its members a hand-picked selection of the best independent, international, and classic films. Every day, Mubi's curators introduce a new title, and you have 30 days to watch it. That means there's always 30 wonderful films to enjoy, all for only $5.99 a month. Plus, when you use their mobile apps, you can download films to watch offline. All right. So right now, Mubi is continuing their series of Agnes Varda films, including La Petite Amour, which stars uh, Agnes Varda's son, Matthew, uh, Matthew Demi, mm-hmm. son of Agnes Varda and Jacques Demi. And who's also in uh, Kung Fu Master, another one of her. Oh, and I, I did not know that. Uh, 
Also available is The Creatures, starring Catherine Deneau, who we did a uh, profile episode on. Did you see Many it? Years I did ago. not see it. Did you? No, I haven't seen The Creatures. Okay. No. Uh, sounds like we got to get movie, David. Uh, and as of today, uh, Varda's film One Sings, The Other Doesn't. Those are all available along with, uh, obviously, uh, dozens of other movies. Um, and there's a special offer for listeners of Battleship Pretension. You can try Mubi free for a month. Just go to Mubi.com. That's M-U-B-I dot com slash Battleship. That's how you get the free month. Slash Battleship to redeem now. And I want to tell you, speaking of discounts that you uh, can get for being a, a cool, clued-in um, member of the Battleship Retention Cognoscenti, uh, cool. you go to tweakedaudio.com. Now, tweakedaudio.com is your home for professional quality earbuds that come in a variety of stylish styles and colorful colors. Uh, they look great, and they sound great, more importantly. And uh, most importantly, Tyler and I use them all the time. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know about our guest. We'll, um, we'll assume he does. Um and uh, they're available. They're already available at a low, low price at tweakedaudio.com. But because you're cool, clued in, cognizant, all that, um, you can get one third off that low, 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 low price by using the offer code pretension. So uh, go to um, tweakedaudio.com and yeah. use the offer code pretension. If debit is your go-to card, Discover thinks it's time you get rewarded too. So check out Discover Cashback Debit, a game-changing checking account with cashback on everyday debit card purchases. That's right. Cashback isn't just for credit cards anymore. Whether it's a movie date, flea market find, or midday latte, you can start earning cashback. And did I mention there are no fees, period? Check out transaction eligibility and terms at discover.com slash cashback debit. Discover Bank member FDIC. All right. Um, should we go ahead and why don't you go ahead and introduce our guest? Oh, it's Josh Long. <laughs> great. Great. Hi, our everyone. guest who apparently needs or at least deserves no introduction. <laughs> That's uh, it's that second one. Our next guest deserves no introduction. Yeah. He's been on this. You've been on the show before and you are yeah. my, uh, one of my co-hosts for more than one lesson. Plus, everyone knows who I am. Yeah, you are. <laughs> On Twitter, you are literally the Josh the Long. The Josh Long. Is there another one? Not that I know of. Not to my knowledge. Not with that handle, certainly. Uh-huh. Um, so, David. Yeah. Now that Josh has been w- well introduced, and everybody knows exactly <laughs> who he is and what we have to look forward to. Yes. Um, there's something that was sticking in your craw. Yeah. You know, it's something I was thinking about. Uh, a lot uh, recently because it's come up a lot recently. But then just on the drive over here, I was listening to a podcast where it came up in another way. Um, now there's a new version of beauty and the beast Mm -hmm. out in theaters. Yes. It's a live action version, um, that is based largely on the animated Disney version from the nineties. Yes. Right. Uh, I'd say more than largely. Right. But I'm saying this is, this is the point is that beauty and the beast is a story and film and has been told and adapted before Mm -hmm. the nineties one. And yet I keep, hearing people refer to the 90s animated film as the original oh (laughs) you know and i guess if you're talking about specific things like you know the design of like the the lamp guy or the clock you know or the wardrobe uh, i i I don't remember that (laughs) clearly a huge fan of the the original yeah the movie it's probably been 20 years at least since i've seen the original one but if you're talking about like those i understand you're basing in that specific sense but uh it does seem like in general because things get remade so often these days and also for the history of cinema. Um, but, uh, <laughs> things get remade so often that we do have a tendency to use the word original to just mean previous because yeah. mm-hmm. like 
what happened, uh, I was listening to a podcast. They were talking about the actor, Michael Chiklis and someone said, Oh, and he was, they were naming his roles and he was like, Oh, and he was the thing in the original fantastic four, which is like, <laughs> Hey, there's a movie, the Roger Corman movie. Now, as far but, as movies that have been released, <laughs> right. But even then, <laughs> That's not, like it's based on an existing property. So even then, it's it like does, it's not it's not semantically accurate to call it original. I would take issue with you being upset with this, but here's the thing: the other day, I found myself starting to refer to the '91 Beauty and the Beast. I started to refer to it as the original. Caught myself uh-huh. and said the 90 the animated the Disney animated mm-hmm. film. Like it it felt wrong to me to do it. Well. I don't know. In in referencing these two movies, the '90s one and this one, they have characters that only exist within these two films. Right. They have plot arcs that only exist within these two films. So I think in that sense, and because it's Disney, right. I, I, I feel like you can accurately use the word original. In although, the, yeah. yeah, in this context, but I will agree with you that too often I think people, yeah, reference whatever's the most recent one as the original. Yeah, and I think there's also a tendency to see like a, a recency bias i wish i could think of a great uh, example but i can't right now <laughs> to think of like oh there was a movie version of this and then 15 years later there's another movie version of this to think of it as a remake and really it's just another adaptation of the source material you know right what I mean? sure like certain books have been adapted more yeah. than more than once i mean you could probably say that with like spider-man or superman or some of those <laughs> ones that have been made a million times now it seems or, right yeah 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 it's uh there are like if somebody were to make there are examples of this, but I'm going to go with something that doesn't exist. Um, if somebody were to make silence of the lambs and were to go back to, right, let's right. go with red dragon. Now that I think about it. Okay. Now, t- because it doesn't, it's not called Manhunter, or rather because Manhunter was not called red dragon. I don't know of anybody that referred to it as a remake, but, uh, somebody could say, Oh, they, they remade Manhunter. No, they went back to the original novel. Um, right. And if there was a new, uh, if there were a new Silence of the Lambs, yeah, it would not be a remake. It would be a re- readaptation, right? Right. Mm. Which is why these Disney movies are so interesting. These live action, these live action remakes, because because they, they are, are not going back to the source material. They are adapting the Disney version, they like are, the Jungle Book, and, and they are yeah, they are treating <laughs> their their intellectual property as the. The, or the, the original the, or, t- or text at which I think is probably a, a, a move by Disney to cement in children's minds that that's where these stories come from. These right. fairy tales right. come from Disney. I mean, have any of us read a lot of the originals on which a lot of these stories are based Cinderella or Pinocchio or any of well, these things nope. like obviously beauty and the beast started as that, TV series with Linda Hamilton and, <laughs> and Ron, Ron Perlman. Perlman. Yeah. Yes. So I did see episodes of that. So I did see the, the original. original. That's I forgot. I see, I thought, I thought it started with that movie beastly starring Alex Pettifer. <laughs> okay. I was going to say, I mean, I know, I think wasn't, so every version of Beauty and the Beast, I think, wasn't it spun off from that meatloaf video? <laughs> uh, I, I thought there were all references to the band Bell and Sebastian. <laughs> right. Well, this has gone very well. Yeah. Um, we all came up with ridiculous oh, examples. It never occurred to me that Bell and Sebastian is like potentially a very kinky, like Disney crossover fan fiction, right? Mm. <laughs> it's on kinky. Yeah. So anyway, that's uh, that's okay. Along these lines, you had some other bullshit, (laughs) but you know what? (laughs) Then 
No, my bullshit has been said on the shelf. Yeah. Okay. Onto your bullshit. Dave, we're getting older, which means we're just going to be angry. Now I feel like going. I'm going to have to come up with some bullshit. I'll, I'll, well, I'll come not, up with something. That's not standard. Oh, you'll uh, have plenty that's to say. That's SOP. <laughs> so, um, but uh, my bullshit here is actually not unlike yours. So I was, um, I forgot what I was watching. I was watching some something online that was uh, talking about, you know, movies that are going to be coming out and like the recent, I believe it was the recently greenlit fifth Indiana Jones movie. And that broke me a little (laughs) bit. Um, And I found myself, I I was in this, I had this moment. I was like, well, I'm not going to watch that. And then I thought, well, hang on. I do this podcast and it's an Indiana Jones movie. Am I going to have to watch this? Like, and and it just, you know, David, you and I are, are yeah. critics. Josh, you do uh, a podcast with me, and you work in the industry. At what point is it okay? And is it okay for people doing what we do to just not want to do this? Like, not not larger, <laughs> I mean, like not want to see that movie. If mm. you're asking me, I I crossed that bridge years ago. Okay, uh, mm. like. And I, but that's a, that's a personal thing that is, it's me not practicing what I preach because what I preach is that, uh, every movie, whether it's the new Olivier Essayas movie mm-hmm. or whether it's, you know, the, the new, like Michael Bay produced Teenage Mutant Ninja Turtles movie <laughs> should be approached with an open mind and, and treated respectfully as a movie. Yeah. yeah. That's what I preach. Mm-hmm. What I practice is the further you get into a franchise, the less I even think of them as real movies. Hmm. Yeah. Um, so, um, I never saw Indiana Jones four. Uh, yeah. and so there's, um, if you're saying, should this podcast have a take on Indiana Jones five, then it's going to be yours because there's, <laughs> I can tell you right now I'm not seeing, and that's the there's thing, no is- way. I think it, it, for me, it has to do with, so I saw the first Transformers because a friend wanted to see it. I saw it and thought John Turturro was actually quite good. The end. Uh, there have been <laughs> several more. I don't, I've lost track. I don't know how many there have been. I think yeah. there are four, five. I, I don't know. I don't know. Uh, but I didn't watch any after the first one. And if they, only, I they felt, had numbers in the titles, that would be helpful. Like, like I can tell to. you how many fast and furious movies there are. I can tell you that the eighth one is coming out because the number eight is on the poster that I'm seeing <laughs> everywhere, but I um, haven't seen a fast and furious movie since I saw the fast and the furious in the theater 16 years ago. I've seen none of them. Is that the first one? Yeah. Okay. Yes. That's the one I've seen. I've only seen that first one. And I, I think a few days ago I passed the poster that said, cause I'd seen the ones that say fate of the furious. Right. Yeah. And now I passed one where it said F eight. And then under that fate of the furious, right. they were like, just in case you didn't yeah. get it, which I hadn't <laughs> gotten. And I went, Oh, Oh, so do you think at some point but they're going like to like those movies, by the way, oh, people yeah. love them. Yeah. Well, people think, love the Transformers movies too, but I mean, people I, that I res- whose opinions I respect like true. the Fast and Furious more people whose opinions I, I respect like that's, those yeah, than I would. I, yeah, there it, are it surprises people. me that as many people whose opinions I respect enjoy those as do. The uh, I, I can't even say it surprises me because I I haven't seen them. So for all I know, that yeah. the, all the people are right. I, By I all know. accounts, the from what people said, and I could I could believe it. Once they incorporated the Rock, everything 
took a different tone and it became a lot more fun, uh, which okay. I could, which I would believe, but it's not enough it. to get me to see it. it well, and that's, I, I see those trailers and I can't avoid seeing the trailers. I think I've seen the trailer for every single one probably. And I think that looks so ludicrous. Uh, nothing in me wants to see that quite literally literally. (laughs) (laughs) but people do respond to that aspect of it somehow Mm -hmm. kind of like the batshit craziness of it is appealing somehow and And uh, yeah i'm not opposed to no no i i I can see ways that that works i think it's maybe it's just not for me i enjoyed uh the joseph khan film torque I was a big fan sure. of Torque, and that's just a ludicrous movie. For a it's moment, a, I thought you said Joseph Cotton, I, and I was like, did was I? he in Torque? <laughs> yeah. Um, He's the Torque. Here's here's uh, real quick, and I'll get to Transformers in a moment. Um, here's the thing about uh, these Fast and the Furious movies. I've seen none of them, but I've seen you know every trailer, because I see movies and such. Eventually, they're going to make a trailer where the only line ever said is the word family. <laughs> every trailer is like i don't got friends i got family and then in the most recent the trailer for the most recent film the word family and the 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 invocation of family is said like five times huh. and i just like stop trying i haven't seen any of these but everyone i know that does like these movies they like how batshit crazy they are and they like the the campy goofiness of it stop mm-hmm. trying to be something bigger than you are ah, i got family really because you're related to a bunch of cartoons as far as i can tell <laughs> anyway that's neither here nor there it's just something i noticed i was like i'm tired of hearing this word family anyway um that's the next one family of the furious yeah just the family Son of the family of furious. It just, and then just family 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 but, oh, okay <laughs> over let me, and over I, again as someone who hasn't seen these movies except for the first one let me play devil's advocate to Please that do. point of view here because i think movies like snakes on a plane that just go for the obvious like uh let's let's just you know get people in the theater who want to see a bunch of dumb stuff mm-hmm. tend to feel <laughs> like false and don't connect and so like maybe underneath all that crazy shit maybe there is this emotional core to these fast and the furious movies that keeps and that's what keeps people feeling connected to them and keeps them coming back from what i have heard it's why i love the first john wick so much because i emotionally uh relate <laughs> you to have a dog. His, uh, yeah to his motivation and his ambition uh from what i've heard uh the the mo- the the last one um the most the, recent one the most re- the, yeah the one that yeah. hasn't come out yet right. uh it was rather emotional because of Paul Walker being mm-hmm. gone and everybody knew that when the film was released and, and they dealt with that very well at the end of the film, apparently. So I guess there is that. But what I will say is when you get to the eighth film, mm-hmm. whatever depth you did have has been established. So by all means, just go completely insane. You don't have to continue to hit a, to hit this. Deep I don't know. Theme. I don't know because mm-hmm. I haven't seen them like snakes on the snakes on a plane. I did see and they they went batshit crazy immediately. And I think that's that's their problem right there. But I will say that I feel no desire to see and I and I feel no guilt about not seeing any Transformers films, partially because of our audience. I think our audience doesn't care, but our audience did watch Raiders of the Lost Ark. They watched the, you know, and Temple of Doom and Last Crusade and loved them and probably do not like kingdom of the crystal skull but because there's that connection to something that we do have affection for three out of four movies that's not bad uh i feel like i i have some level of Hmm. obligation to see it because it has a connection to something that is taken seriously transformers was never taken seriously by 
yeah. the, the type of people to listen to this show. In the same way that you probably don't need to go see the emoji movie or whatever. Wow. <laughs> so in my film history class, uh, they would always show two trailers for like upcoming films and then they would, then the class would start and they would show a trailer for a film that came out like 50 years ago to oh, also yeah. to compare the types of movies, but also the types of advertising. Yeah. And so I thought it was very interesting. And so I'm walking in and they've are, and they've started showing the trailer for the emoji movie. And I was like, what the, what the hell is this? <laughs> and I sat down and I thought like, wow, they really like, I, this is, I can't think of an example of another movie that is so, disposable like trying to seize upon a certain social trend yeah and that's how i felt about the angry birds movie yeah oh but angry birds looks like you know war and peace uh, <laughs> narratively compared to the emoji movie i like even the students in my there are th- my class was in a 300 seater uh 300 seat theater pardon me um and even the students there who were up for pretty much any trailer that was playing they like people were booing the emoji movie trailer. <laughs> um, it was, it was crazy. So, but that, yeah, I feel no desire to see that one except a perverse desire to see that one. But like transformers <laughs> I, is not even on. I my, guess yeah, yeah. I haven't seen any trailers for the emoji movie. I, I kind of forgot that it uh, existed, but um, I'm going to go back to where I actually do practice what I preach. I will reserve judgment because for instance, the Lego movie was great. Sure. Uh, that, I don't think it was great, but I, I think it was it's, great. it's a lot better than I thought it was going to be. Um, yeah, there's always the possibility. Yeah. Um, but at the same time, do you remember this is changing the topic topic, but like when it was first announced that Aaron Sorkin was writing a movie and David Fincher was directing a movie based on Facebook yeah, with, like, oh, with Justin Timberlake in it. I heard <laughs> right. that cocktail things and I was like, that movie sounds ridiculous. Yeah, it was, it was simply it called was the mocked. Facebook movie for a while. Yeah. And then, and then as more information came out about what it's actually about, people yeah. took it seriously, but it was yeah. like, uh, it was like, uh, like, was like a board game movie or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, like battleship or, yeah, I never yeah. saw battleship either. Incidentally, is I was Peter Berg. I think I've said this before. Okay. Is Peter Berg the most talented director with the longest roster of bad movies? <laughs> <laughs> like I really only like Friday Night Lights and the rundown, I guess. Um, Very bad things. I don't we think, were, I don't think it holds up. I haven't seen it since I was younger. I think I liked <laughs> that kind of comedy when I was sure, younger. Yeah. I don't think I would have any patience for it now. Um, but even like when I'm watching something like Patriot's day, which, um, uh, was near the bottom of my list of 2016 films mm. or deep water horizon, which was right around the middle of the entire year yeah. for me. Even when I watch him then, I'm like, he, like he's, there's a clear talent at work here. I wish he could put it to better use. Yeah. But at the same time, some people love lone survivor. Oh, you know? So yeah. I don't know. It's, he seems to be the type of filmmaker that, certain people really respond to. Uh, so yeah. along those lines, I would say probably not because some people not merely do they think, Oh, that movie's good. Some people are over the moon about it. You know? yeah. Right. Right. I mean, he hasn't been around for as long, but M night Shyamalan kind of has that same thing to him. Where yeah. Yeah. I think I like more M night Shyamalan movies though. Yeah. Oh yeah, definitely. Could be, but such a, I feel like there's been such a string of, of movies that almost everyone doesn't like. Right. Right. And yet like, cause I really hated lady in the water. Um, 
but even in watching it, it's just like there is talent here. Like there's That's no the thing. question. I think he's oh, a talented yeah. filmmaker. It's just it seems like he makes strange decisions sometimes, yes. and uh, sometimes those lead to films that are. No. totally unappealing <laughs> and he's he's getting back on track by embracing schlock and pulp and doing quite yeah. well with it but i enjoyed yeah. split um anyway okay but yeah it was just it was a thing that i was thinking about it's just i had this moment of am i gonna have to see the fifth indiana jones movie and i feel like i do just because of the association i feel like i'm gonna see it but i'm i'm gonna see it in the blind hope that somehow uh, Crystal Skull is more of a like misstep, and that mm-hmm. it could somehow come back. Although I don't know who's directing the new one. I yeah, I don't know. If it's Spielberg, frankly, that's not enough to give me hope. No, that that not actually, I, I would rather that it's not Spielberg. Yeah. Um, okay, sorry. We can we can move on. Yeah, but. let's take a look at what's on the website. Indeed, this is a fun thing we we like to do. Uh, the one of the most there's a bunch of uh, important stuff to talk about. One of them is that we posted our first Ask BP video. These are our mailbag. Instead of doing a mailbag segment on the show, um, uh, like a lot of podcasts do, um, and which I tend to tune out when I'm listening to podcasts, <laughs> um, we separate it out into yeah. its own thing, and um, you can see us, and you can see us. So it's 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 on the website, uh, and if you have um, any questions you'd like to ask us, any burning questions you'd like to us to address, um, most of them seem to be about movies, but we don't actually yeah. limit that you can ask us about anything. Um, <laughs> you can email me, David at battleshipretention.com. So that video is up there. Uh, Sarah's still working her way through the top 100 which is a 2017 long project that she's doing two movies a week uh watching the listener uh, every movie in the listener voted top 100 um oh what else um uh west started a series over at his musical notation podcast uh mm-hmm. on john williams and steven spielberg uh part one uh, uh was up um a new this won't be a regular column but uh alex um debuted uh, a new column he's been doing the weekly criterion predictions for mm-hmm. um um well over about a year and a half now at this yeah. point but he did a uh scream slash shout factory um prediction i hope uh, that's not no. temporary because like at this it's point not, well, scream not, factory especially has yeah. a nice uh i don't think it'll it. be temporary i just don't think it'll be a weekly thing oh, the way sure, the criterion sure. is. Mm-hmm. it's, it's yeah. when when he has an idea he'll he'll write it up uh so he talked he wrote about the dead zone and then in his criterion predictions he wrote about the limey uh i reviewed um wilson the uh new woody harrelson starring um uh movie um so go check out my review um if you want the short version uh woody harrelson's great in it the uh director is not working at the same level that woody harrelson is mm-hmm. unfortunately um laura dern is always also great but that's a given at this point um i guess we should do a profile on her at some point but i like she's having like such a like yeah. resurgence right now that <laughs> would feel like, like wait would, until yeah, yeah yeah or maybe we'd have to do like an up like through yeah. uh 2015 and then like stop and then sure. we'll do a part two uh in another 10 years um speaking of podcasts uh, uh in the bp fleet um jim survived kim ki duck month i made him watch a month of kim ki duck films uh he didn't like any of them uh and i ended with ended it with uh 
2012's Pieta, which I think he hated more than the other two. I mean, didn't, <laughs> I feel didn't so watch. sorry for him. It seems like a lot of that podcast ends up having him <laughs> watching things that he's like, I, I do not enjoy this. But, and and even if he can recognize why other people like some, a lot of because I yeah, think the three of all us, of the ones I've recommended to him, the three of us have really put him through the ringer. <laughs> I gave him a bunch of Christian films to watch. Oof. Right. So, uh, including believe me. No, 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 not believe me. Uh, no, believe me. Yeah. Um, I saw that and he liked that, but also, yeah, there is a certain, for those who don't know the premise of Jim's podcast, he does four episodes a month. The first episode, he has uh, a guest on who's, um, well-versed or interested in a certain filmmaker or genre or topic or whatever. Uh, and they spend an hour talking about that and the, the, the guest assigns, uh, Jim three films and the rest of the month, one, one, one a week, he watches mm. those films, uh, that are assigned to him and, and talks about them. And it does. So there is a certain part of me that if I have a, like, uh, Oh, people don't respect so-and-so enough or people don't talk about so-and-so enough. I'm like, you know what? Yeah, I'll make Jim watch these yeah. movies. Yeah. <laughs> That'll be one person. Yeah. Um, but I guess sometimes it backfires and Jim, uh, hates me now for the <laughs> Tim Duck movies. Um, Let's see. Maybe I'll maybe I'll go on and make him watch some Guy Madden films and see what he thinks of those. Those can be a lot of fun. Yeah, but knowing Jim as I do, I okay. don't think he'll enjoy them. So I think I they're think a lot I'll, of fun. I, Even, I love them. I'm not a fan of his. You're incorrect. Oh, yeah, I'm a, I'm a big fan. Um, let's see. Matt reviewed a movie called A Woman Apart. Uh, worth playing for is back. Speaking of the BP fleet, that's uh, Tyler and uh, his wife Jenny's uh, podcast about Survivor. Mm-hmm. Um, the reality competition show yeah i was gonna say not the band (laughs) no Um, oh uh we incorporated the band this time oh Oh, really but they're just on the episode um (laughs) they love the show you mean you incorporated the band like the way (laughs) yes right yes Um, yeah talking uh, about their favorite song eye of the tiger (laughs) (laughs) uh and yeah aaron uh, pinkston is considered is continuing his uh weekly look at what's playing in chicago so now we have two cities covered uh for our rep ports as we call them where uh uh, Scott covers Los Angeles and Aaron covers Chicago talking about, uh, you know, at the end of every week, here's what's coming up the next week in repertory screenings in, in the, in the city. It's really, uh, it, it's a, it's a couple of columns that I'm, even though I don't write them, I'm very proud of. <laughs> yeah. I'm very proud that we have, that we have them. I think it's yeah. a, it's a fantastic resource. Yeah. Oh, that's um, awesome. So that's, what's going on on the website, but also through the right, through the end of March, don't forget it's still our 10 year anniversary sale. So mm-hmm. all of our premium content ever, um, so far that exists so far, uh, is on sale for a, a flat fee, flat sum of $25. So that's our first 40 episodes. It's the two, uh, standalone premium episodes, one with Bill Dwyer, one on the, the movies of 2007, which was the year, um, 10 years ago, the, movie, the yeah. year this podcast started. Uh, and then our marathon commentaries, which is Lord of the Rings, zombies, Batman, slashers I'm missing one aliens aliens um and so you get all those you get caught up you listen to all our premium episodes and then uh, at the end of the month you'll have the opportunity uh it won't be part of the sale it'll be its own thing um to pick up the new commentary which we'll be recording very soon yes uh, in fact by the time you're hearing this it has been recorded indeed i'm um, assuming the world didn't end uh, and that's on Space Invaders movies, as Tyler has dubbed them. It's, I hope uh, the world doesn't alien- end before we can sell these commentaries. We put <laughs> a lot of a lot of effort into <laughs> scheduling those guests. So these are alien invasion movies. We're, we're going to talk about uh, the Thing, Predator, Independence Day, and Signs. Did that's I get the right. order right? That's right. Yes, they're chronological. Mm-hmm. Um, so that'll be a lot of fun. All right. Okay, let's get into it, shall we? Indeed. Um, this is a. Uh, it seems like lately. 
we have a tendency to like come up with a topic in the conversation of one episode yeah. and then just do that <laughs> the next week. Yeah. There's, uh, a, there's a, a lot of fun there, for me. There's a big, uh, what I call a uh, thank God factor, which is one of us says something and in my, and mentally I go, Oh, thank God. All right. We have a topic. We have a topic for next week. Uh, <laughs> we've been doing this 10 years Yeah, that's a lot and of we're weeks. not running low on topics, but whenever one presents itself yeah. that we could do easily, no problem. Thank and God. We've never, I was going to say we've never taken a week off. That's not actually true, but on weeks we have taken off, uh, well, now what we do is we have guests fill in yes. for us. But what we used to do is if we couldn't do one a week, we'd do two the next week. Yeah. Um, which is fun. So the <laughs> the number of episodes, this is episode 523. Is that right? Or four. I don't remember. Um, yeah, 523 or four. That means that's exactly how many weeks we've been doing the show. Because yeah. there is one for every week. Um, so, yeah, it is hard to... Um, to to not repeat topics uh, or to keep coming up with new ones sometimes, yeah. uh, but then it's not because we're going to have a great conversation today. It last like last week, it's going to probably going to be a little mean spirited, um, <laughs> but probably. Um, yeah. Oh, good. Uh, right. I'll take the gloves off. This week, we're talking about what I think uh, Tyler dubbed indie light movies. Did I? I thought it was you. Oh well, um, I think you said, it and I said we should do an episode about. Oh, that. maybe I did. Okay. Um, and so these, are, I think the the one, um, that came up last week uh that i was specifically talking about was safety not guaranteed which is a movie that's like yes it's an independent production um but it doesn't have particularly challenging sensibilities and it feels and it's very even though it's a movie that i um would give i don't know like a c plus b minus two it's not a bad movie safety not guaranteed but it feels uh very digestible um it feels safe not yeah no you know not pl- not a play on the title um uh and it feels and this is projecting a little bit but it feels like um uh a, a sort of audition for oh say jurassic world sure <laughs> which is what the director <laughs> went on to make mm-hmm. um that bothers me to no end but it seems and this is what i want to talk about is it seems like this has been established as a path now you know you make uh, yeah, you make Kings of Summer and then you make Kong Skull Island. Right. I didn't, I didn't put that two and two together until today when I was looking at IMDb and I was like, you're kidding me. How did that happen? Or you make 500 Days of Summer. It seems like having summer in the title mm-hmm. is a big help. And then you get to make uh, a Spider-Man movie. Or you make the, the movie Cop Car and then you get to make a Spider-Man movie. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, uh, and so this is something we want to talk about. What I want to talk about, and this is kind of how it came up uh, last week, and this is something that I can't quite... Usually I like to, you know, spin some reason why some like, uh, 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 causation for things. But what came up last week is that when people talk about why are so many of these directors who go from making these sort of indie light movies to the big studio movies, younger white men, and how come the minority and female directors who have, festival hits or whatever that are about the same budget and have about the same reach as these uh, other films. How come they don't go on to the same career? Mm -hmm. Um, And 
uh, I, I think, uh, you know, I'm the uh, resident uh, social justice warrior at Battleship Retention, so I'm, <laughs> I'm perfectly willing to chalk that up to a measure of, of um, racism and sexism or whatever. But I also think there seems to be some design to these kind of movies that we're talking about. I don't know why they're made so so often by uh, young white men. Yeah. Um, and not all of them. I would, I would put dope in this category. Dope um, is in this category on my list here, yeah. Um, but... Uh, I wonder if you guys as not social justice warriors right. have any um, uh, ideas about why so many of these directors who make these type of movies and go on to studio things are young white men. I mean, I, I, I briefly touched on it for myself last, uh, last week, which is that in the end, it's all about the demographic and the demographic. It's still, I, I'm, I'm still willing to chalk it up to sexism, but studios are always looking for, young maybe not exclusively white men but honestly like young white men and so a lot of not certainly not all the ones on my list but a lot of the indie light movies of the last few years are definitely from the perspective of a young white guy whether they might be technically adult like in 500 days of summer but still young enough to still be considered young yeah or it could be hey do you remember how things were back when we were the kings of summer or whatever it is the way way back or the way way back way way back when we were the kings of summer that was pretty dope right <laughs> back when it was you know back when it was me earl and the dying girl and you know celeste and jesse absolutely <laughs> all right we're, give, we're giving away all the movies on it was uh, i gotta say it was captain fantastic um, <laughs> which i didn't see um mostly because i read josh's review of it <laughs> and i was like we're, i don't think i need to make that a priority yeah, yeah i worked my way through it over the course of like two weeks i uh really regretted renting it lots um, of people disagree with me so I'll, I'll give it that and someone someone actually kind of angrily disagreed with me on the uh on the website in the comments so there yeah. you go but uh Man, people are pretty dumb most of the time well my my wife <laughs> natalie was a, a fan of the movie oops <laughs> look hey um, none of we're all married none of our spouses are perfect but i think i think she's approaching and i haven't seen the movie but i think my wife is approaching it my wife is a child social worker for a living sure. i think she's mm-hmm. sort of approaching it uh from that sort of anthropological uh look at um uh the way these kids are being raised and mistreated perhaps mm. i don't know i haven't seen the movie but that's what i gathered from um so but yeah that's i mean that's my assumption is that is that when it comes right down to it and i i this similar to what i thought of uh like the oscars so white campaign is that while i have as you know i have no problem uh laying all evils at the doorstep or at the feet of studios and the studio mentality. Mm -hmm. And so, but I don't think it's, I don't think it's insidious. I don't think it's them like going out of their way to, to like put black filmmakers down or female filmmakers. It's ultimately what's going to get us the most money. Okay. Well, Mm -hmm. these, but it's also a, a a very limited scope. So I think it comes down to being oblivious to certain audiences and recognizing like, well, catering to this audience works. So who's making movies for this audience? And it's like, okay, well, they're making it on an indie level, but they seem interested on making it on a macro level. So that's how we'll get from Kings of Summer to, to Kong Skull Island is how we'll get from Safety Not Guaranteed to Jurassic World. And mm. there we go. I, yeah, I, and I think it may, it's possible that it's just a, a totally a numbers game. And if in reality, I, I don't have the numbers in front of me, I don't know. But if 
the people who are most likely to buy tickets to Kong Skull Island are young white men, then the studio's like, well, we're going to get a young white man to direct it then because yeah. he's going to preach to that demographic, uh, as you yeah. could say. In, in the same way that, uh, uh, shoot, Ryan Coogler, right, is directing Black Panther. Right, yeah. And they were, they ad- initially asked uh, Ava DuVernay to, to direct it. And so, yeah, so uh, frankly, I think, so- I think it would have been neat to have a female direct uh, a Marvel superhero movie, frankly. But Ryan Coogler is a great director, though. I, I really love Creed, and so I think he'll do a great yeah, job with and, it. Yeah, and I, I really liked um, uh, Fruitvale Station. Um, I think it's, uh, even while intellectually I see like the, the layers of falseness um, and dishonesty yeah. in that movie, it's so emotionally effective yeah. that I'm, I'm willing to, to uh, overlook that. But I think that um, gets to something... Uh, the thing I think I glibly have said on the podcast before I might have said last week is uh, the mistake that these young female directors make okay. is they actually make good movies as opposed to these sort of programmatic disingenuous, <laughs> um, uh, you know, uh, you know, miniature studio movies that yeah. a lot of these mm. like um, uh on the surface, I think Obvious Child could be everything we're saying about these other movies. Mm. But to me, Obvious Child, which ended up being one of my favorite movies that year, has um, a distinct idiosyncratic perspective and an honesty about it mm. that makes it uh, a great personal film. Um, whereas I think something like, you know, The Way Way Back doesn't doesn't feel honest and doesn't feel personal to me. Even if it is, I don't know, maybe the movie is based on someone's actual uh, childhood. I don't know, but it feels um, over, over designed, over diagrammed. But I think it, it, it could also, now that I'm thinking about it and talking about the Kings of summer and, and this idea of, of nostalgia playing a big thing, you know, when we, you know, three white guys in our thirties, when we were young, we played with, you know, G.I. Joe, Star Wars, Ninja Turtles, all that kind of thing. We played with toys and we watched the cartoons of things that are now big budget movies. And so mm-hmm. if, if one of us were to make a movie that is even vaguely nostalgic about our own experience, then that almost qual- that just engaging in nostalgia qualifies us to make a movie that is going to try to tap into that nostalgia. It could be like the latest Ninja Turtles movie. I now I, I saw it because our friend Adam Rebitaro wanted to see it and he was in town. So <laughs> I wouldn't have seen it otherwise. But as I've said on this show, there was something inside me, this little kid inside me that said, Hey, Bebop and Rocksteady. <laughs> <laughs> and that, you know, turns out that was the one part of the movie I actually liked unsurprisingly. Oh, okay. But, um, mm-hmm. but it's, uh, so I feel, and that's the thing, whereas what nostalgia is there, like what, what box office potential is there in, in not obvious child itself, but the person that made it, yeah, they could go on to make really great movies undoubtedly, but what's it going to tap into? Hmm. And I'm not saying that you're, that we are wrong to want that filmmaker to do something else. It's from a studio mentality and, you know, you were talking about, um, you know, to get into maybe the, the larger topic, we've talked about like what makes a film independent or whatever, but so many of these movies are just Hollywood, you know, just standard Hollywood movies that are made at a, 
not a small fraction either, just a fraction of the cost. Like, you know, yeah. it's made it for $30 million instead of uh, 70 or something like that. Well, I, I don't know. I think, I feel like a lot of these films are not, I feel like are, are, a lot of the ones we've been talking about so far, I don't know if they're really that. Like something like a Juno, obviously. I think that yeah. is is seeing the indie formula and saying like, hey, we can we can do that. People seem to like that. Yeah. Kings of Summer, I think, is genuinely an independent movie. And I mean, I, I can't imagine the budget on that's more than two million. I would I would I would say it's less. Yeah, I actually didn't see it. So yeah, I I saw it. I would you could have made that movie for half a million dollars. I don't know. I'm not sure what the budget is again, but. Um, I think sometimes maybe we're tending to be harder on these films because of where the directors go immediately afterwards. And that's one of the things that bothers me when I see that trend happens, because what I would like to see is I'd like to see Jordan vote Roberts or however you say his name. I would like to see him make something that's uh, a little more challenging to him, not simply on a scope level, you know, like I don't want to see him just make a huge Hollywood blockbuster. I want to see like, okay, you made this, uh, uh, enjoyable if maybe simplistic comedy about kids what else what else do you have like what what else can you do that's going to kind of build on what you did there and you know that actually i find myself torn here because so in a few weeks i'm going to uh, be speaking at the international christian film festival about uh, film criticism and, and a, a big part of what i'm going to talk about is the idea of demanding more from films but then one of the things that I'll say is that yes, there are people that think the movies are only meant to entertain and that's fine. But even in entertainment, you can do tremendously great and insightful uh, things. And so on one level, I would love to see Jordan vote Roberts vote. It's V O G T, but I can vote is how you would say it. I'll just think in terms of a politician, Jordan (laughs) vote Roberts. Yeah. Um, I would love to see him do something personal uh, and smaller and probably closer to his heart. I think I would prefer to see that, but I also like the idea of somebody who does have a different type of sensibility than your standard blockbuster filmmaker and bring that sensibility. Cause I think anybody that saw Kong skull Island would say that yes, it's big and dumb in certain ways, but from a visual standpoint and from an oddly anti-war standpoint, it's notably different than a lot of other blockbusters. And so the question then is, what am I, what am I willing to trade off? You know, do I, am I okay with this blockbuster? That's notably more distinct and more interesting than other blockbusters, but only to a certain degree or a completely personal film that is, and just kind of separate, keep the, these things perpetually separate. Yeah. See, I think it would be more notably different if the filmmaker were able to take more time to grow as a filmmaker. If that's, you make one yeah, movie that's before, what I want to, yeah, because I think I, I feel like we're, we're treading close to implying that you can't be personal on a mega budget, mega scale blockbuster. Right, no, you can. Absolutely. Um, but I, I do think it's that, plucking them from this, the $2 million movie or the five or $6 million, $10 million movie. Uh, and then say like, like what about, I haven't seen five, 500 days of summer. What about 500 days of summer says this guy should make a Spider-Man movie. (laughs) Honestly, Uh, the scope, the scope of that one, like the, the big dancing sequence and stuff. And that one seems more like 
it, it is a bigger movie. It, it feels like it is a copy of an indie movie without actually being an indie movie. Like yes, that, there's definite uh, Amber Alert. We're yeah, all, we're all yeah, we all got it. <laughs> <laughs> Let's not laugh about Amber Alert. Yeah, sorry. Everybody, but, be on the lookout for a 2016 white Honda Accord. In okay, Cathedral City, California. Hang on, one second. license plate seven T J R six five four. Oh, okay. Yeah, that's not what I'm seeing out my window here. So. Okay, mm. but I'll keep uh, an eye out. Uh, I'll keep an eye on my neighbor just in that, case. See that you do. Um, so, but uh, what that r- reminds me of actually uh, the idea of going from the small movie to something that feels like it should be is I remember laughing when I found out that Gareth Edwards was going to make Godzilla because yeah. I was like, did the did the execs who greenlight that actually see monsters? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Cause the monsters are like, it's, it's impressive, but most of monsters is just two yeah. people walking and talking. Yeah. It's not like a monster movie. And incidentally, but, that was a lot of people's big complaint about Godzilla is we didn't see Godzilla enough. Yeah. I did. I, I, I didn't see it, but I obviously have become a Gareth Edwards fan. Cause I liked rogue one quite a bit, right. uh, made my honorable mentions for 20, 20 movies of 2016. Um, but that's when I was excited about it, Cause monsters, doesn't feel uh like it's um uh, you know what's I, I keep trying to find different ways uh of saying the same thing which is it doesn't feel calculated like monsters actually does right. feel like a personal uh movie that has a lot on its mind uh and that i really like yeah. well i i do wonder because what monsters is is Are. what was that <laughs> What monsters are? I hate you so much. <laughs> you know what a monster is? I'm looking at them. I thought you said real, you, real monsters. Are. Ah. <laughs> <laughs> um, but it's it's a genre film, which is you know the giant monster movie made with an indie sensibility by an indie director in an indie context, mm-hmm. as opposed to a movie that was made with a blockbuster budget with a blockbuster mentality with maybe just the subtle shadings of, of indie sensibility. Yeah. And that one, at least I, I still would have liked to see Gareth Edwards be able to grow a little bit more as a distinct filmmaker before going to Godzilla. But that, that at least seems more like a, uh, sensible progression yeah. because it is a creature feature and that's what you know he did a big creature feature whereas from something like safety not guaranteed to Jurassic World that doesn't make any sense to me and then I've not seen safety not guaranteed so I don't know and I kind of enjoyed safety not guaranteed it's not great it's got its flaws I, I think what I've said before is you got to make it through the first act which the first act feels like every other one of these movies you're talking about like it feels like this forced quirkiness and and like the characters are just all like jaded and cracking dumb jokes and then it's really as mark duplass's character starts to take a larger role that it Mm -hmm. starts to feel uh like it's like its own thing because it is actually a really uh a really solid performance from mark duplass and it ends up getting some really emotional places and and i think ends very strong but yeah uh, yeah you gotta i would say you gotta grit your teeth through the first half hour or so Mm -hmm. if not guaranteed or at least i did yeah but i feel like he could have made two or three other sci-fi movies and then he'd be he would have established for himself an idea of who he is as a filmmaker what his visual style is what what he's like and then i I think he could make a good jurassic park movie and i I honestly think that part of the reason this happens is because the studios are, I think that gives the studios more control because they can find this guy who made a movie that was semi successful, say, Hey, come on in. We'll let you make a Godzilla movie. Mm -hmm. And then they can, 
Gareth Edwards can't say no to a studio after his only movie is Monsters. Maybe in two or three yeah. movies, yeah. But at this point, a big part of it, yeah. Yeah, and I, I think that's a lot of why they do it is they pick these guys who are easy people to make sure that they can get the type of movie that they want. Because none of these movies, no studio is making Kong Skull Island because they're like, I'm just, I really love the story. I think it's a, it's a. You know, it's a at the producer <laughs> level they might, but not the studio. Maybe, but for the most part, they're saying this is an existing property. It's going to make a ton of money, but it has to hit these buttons. Right, it has to do certain things. Right, and a a filmmaker who already has a strong sense of who they are as a filmmaker is not necessarily going to say, "Well, yeah, okay, I'll hit all the buttons you want me to hit." He's he or she is going to have a more uh, is going to put themselves into it to the degree that, that they may not want to follow the rules. Right. Well, obviously uh, you're right. Yeah. At first yeah. place, my yeah. mind went with exactly. Edgar Wright. And yeah. while Peyton Reed still did good things with it, Absolutely. like there's no question that Edgar Wright, who, you know, his, his films, up, his films have never done tremendous money, but he is well established and he has a fan base when it comes right down yeah, to it. Know, he doesn't need this. Yeah. And we yeah. know, at least those of us who uh, would li- who would record or listen to this podcast, we know what an Edgar Wright movie is yes. yeah. at this point. Whereas uh, maybe you know Josh Trank, we don't know. You know, I, yeah. Chronicle isn't on this list because uh, I haven't seen it, um, but I hear it's 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 quite good. Um, and it could uh, count, I think. Um, but it is that is uh, I think an issue of the thing that it's the exception that proves the rule. I think is well, of what Josh is saying is that they're trying to pick people who haven't been formed enough and aren't solid enough right. to fight back. And Josh Trank, uh, said, fuck you, I'm going to fight back anyway. And became, uh, you know, probably blacklisted, but also kind of a hero <laughs> I think, to <laughs> certain people. Yeah, uh, but I look up to Josh Trank more now because of his, the way he handled that. Yeah. And we're going to continue looking up to him as he makes, as he has two movies to his credit, one of them terrible. You know, that's the problem. <laughs> it, uh, look, I'm not saying, you know, you can't fight city hall, but at the same time, you can't fight city hall. Sometimes mm-hmm. you can, if you have, if you are established, but at the same time, if you are, if you're toiling to make these small films and then chances are some director or some producer saw it and saw something genuine there that they liked and thought, well, you know what? I'm attached to this much larger thing. I think this guy could do something neat. This, they're thinking that. I think the studio is thinking, yes, he could do something neat. He also won't fight us on anything. And yeah. if he does, what does it matter? He's nobody. Yeah. Um, and so and young blood is always kind of precious to yeah. Producers, the, the Rob Lowe movie. <laughs> <laughs> wow. Um, so yeah, I think there's a there's there's a, a sadness when I think about this, but at the same time, I I feel like a lot of this is is a lot of my thinking in regards to this is informed by this class that I just TA'd for, which is a film history class. But it's not film history; it's American film his, history with a heavy emphasis on industry unlike hmm. Hollywood industry. Hmm. And so in watching how these studios in, in hearing about how these studios evolved as business entities that put out artistic products, theoretically, um, it was very interesting. And it just got me thinking about like, you know, uh, there's, there's a politician that I, that I liked for a while who said that politics is the art of the possible. And I feel like at a Hollywood level, I feel like art is, Art is the art of the po- movies are the art of the possible it, at in Hollywood. You know, it's you do the best you can, and if if you know 
Kong Island I view as a, as a success. Uh, Skull Island I view as a success simply because it looks different mm-hmm. in its use of color and in some of its themes. And in certain sequences, it's different than what it could have been if they had brought in just a just some nothing director who who's just a studio yes man who ultimately i I have no doubt that jordan vo roberts was something of a yes man but they seem to give him enough leeway to make this distinct enough i don't know it's it's a weird thing i i like the idea of blockbusters having more of a pulse and more originality but do i like that at the expense of a full Jordan vote Roberts movie. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That's, and, and this is me. I, I've said that before. It's me being an old crank. Yeah. But whenever I find out that a director whose work I've liked is going to make a, 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 you know, a tentpole type of franchise yeah. blockbuster studio movie, I feel a little disappointed, mm-hmm. you know, um, <laughs> when it was announced that David DuVernay was not making black Panther, I was like, Oh, Oh goody. <laughs> like, <laughs> yeah. Now we get a David DuVernay movie instead. Well, and- um, which is, pretentious that's the name of the podcast um and it is that is very snobby and cranky of me and i should probably get over that impulse but it's where i am well whereas when i you know uh it's like Zack snyder keep making dc movies keep staying over in that area exactly. and then i don't have to think yeah. about, about you yeah. yeah you're not hurting anybody at least not me so yeah um and yet, you know, I will say that uh, James Gunn is a director that I'm a big fan of. And then they brought him in to, uh, to make Guardians of the Galaxy. And everybody saw that film and compared it to the other Marvel films and said, oh, what a delightfully offbeat film, which it is. But I looked at it as, well, let's, let's compare it to other uh, right. James Gunn films. It's nothing. Yeah. It's nothing. (laughs) Slither is astonishing. And I love super. And just compared to what those movies are doing, it's, it's, it couldn't be more bland. Um, now one of the arguments that's in favor of this happening, of these directors making these big movies that people often say is, well, if this movie goes on to be a success, now this person has credibility to spend and can make, the you know have more freedom to make the personal movies they want to make right i don't think in practice that happens very often not very um, often and when it does it's still a uh, 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 russian roulette um, yeah. because i think um we wouldn't have the belco experiment in theaters right now if guardians or in as many theaters at least if guardians of the galaxy weren't such a success but uh by all accounts the belco experiment sucks so yeah, um, yeah that's the thing like th- that doesn't mean that now they are able to make a movie you know like right. and uh, so, um james gunn wrote the belco experiment he didn't okay. he didn't direct it mm. to be to be clear but he still is a producer on it anyway sorry i no, I, I was just saying that if uh if you've made one small scale indie movie on your own and then are suddenly given a hundred million dollars to play with, that doesn't mean that you know how to make a hundred million dollar movie. Like right. suddenly you may have bigger toys to play with, but that doesn't mean you're, you're any good at it, you know? Yeah. And not to say that that can't happen, but I don't think the one necessarily necessitates the other. And I think, you know, thinking of myself as a filmmaker, I would rather have the time to hone my craft yeah. than to suddenly say like, okay, well now you've got $200 million. What, what do you want to do with it? And it actually feels like what, um, it's, uh, 
maybe you could say de-escalating the industry or at least the industry part of the industry back to the sort of pre-autorist days where you're hiring a director to do this, you know, hundred, two hundred million dollar movie, but it's not all in their hands. You've, you're also giving them stunt coordinators and DPs and and uh, visual effects houses and all sorts of stuff yeah. that have the the experience to um, and uh, to make the movie the way the studio wants. And so it actually makes. I, I guess what you're saying, Tyler, is that Guardians of the Galaxy doesn't feel that much like a James Gunn movie because it takes away some of the yeah um, uh, the uh, autorist possibilities, which um, you could you know some people might argue that's not necessarily a bad thing that the film is mm-hmm. a collaborative art i like to think of it as an uh, uh, uh having i like to think of a movie as having an author because it's frankly it makes it easier to talk about and analyze <laughs> <It's true. laughs> well and and i think it's we we do and i do blame the studios a lot for a lot of this stuff but it, it could be possible also to a degree that uh the mere fact of the way uh, Hollywood blockbuster tentpole is made nowadays. So much of it relies so heavily on things that you are not doing on set on visual effects mm-hmm. and, and stuff like that, that it, I think by necessity it has to take a little bit away from the director because you have whole sequences that are done, you know, in post right. uh, yeah. the director can say like, I want it to be like this, but what director otherwise would want to sit, uh, you know, away from the set and say, do it like this and then hope it comes out. Right. You know, like you have to give up a certain level of control. If 30% of your movie is going to be completely created in computers in another country afterwards. And you know, something that occurred to me, let's, uh, I, I want to focus in on, on the Marvel films just because you've had so many different directors make this thing that is unified. Uh, and and we all talk about the ways in which it, it the films are very similar from one movie to another. Uh, and it occurred to me that you know there are some directors that operate within it, and their sensibilities really come through. But they are directors that, as we are talking about, are well established. They can fight for their own vision. Shane Black, Joss Whedon, Kenneth Branagh, um, mm-hmm. Scott Derrickson, like these are people that. It's, I mean, how established was Scott Derrick? I mean, I like Doctor Strange, as, but he had made... As a horror director, pretty well established. Okay. Um, you know, he made money. He made money makers. Um, okay. Yeah, I'm not disparaging at all. I just uh, yeah. I just don't know that one. I have some blind spots when it comes to horror, unfortunately. And it's... Yeah, I don't know if I've seen any of his movies, uh, uh, any of his horror movies. I think I might have, but I don't remember. Anyway, um, so yeah, I think an argument could be made that... A, a better thing. I don't know. The blockbusters could be even blockbusters that you bring in with like an indie director, um, or at least a non blockbuster director. They could be even better from an artistic standpoint. Again, studios don't care. These movies made tons of money either way. Um, just by having an, uh, a, a certain name associated with them by which I mean title. Um, mm-hmm. and so, but for our purposes, like these block, you know, I like the Avengers as do you. Mm-hmm. I really like Iron Man three and, you know, so from an auteur standpoint, it probably would be better for a director, not even probably, it would be better for a director to kind of get their sea legs and develop their own style for themselves. You know, when you make one or two movies, you, you're still finding who you are. And then to be thrown into the midst of this giant thing that could absolutely swallow you up, like you're lucky if any of you comes through at all, yeah. because you don't even know what, you know. You don't know what a Josh Long does not know. You don't know what a Josh Long blockbuster looks like. 
you know, <laughs> I, right now it's a uh, mess, I think. Probably, yes. <laughs> um, well, let's use that to transition to a new subtopic here, okay. which is directors for whom this indie light style is their style. People who yeah. have made multiple movies uh, in this mm-hmm. realm. Uh, you're, you're Zach Braff's and Mike Mills, probably. Um, right. But I like Mike Mills. So I have trouble like <laughs> saying that, but yeah, yeah but yeah, I mean, which leads right. But that, uh, and the godfather of all of them who doesn't even make Indies anymore, but still makes these kind of movies. Cameron Crowe, mm-hmm. um, is, I mean, I've not been a fan of a Cameron Crowe movie in a long time. I'm, uh, uh, a staunch, uh, uh, almost famous truther, uh, which is <laughs> out there trying to just spread the word that almost famous sucks. Um, uh, yeah, it because it is, suck. it, there's good things. It in is it. one, but it does seem one of these, it's just like another one of these overly, uh, overly cutesy, overly precious, uh, movies that just doesn't speak to me. It, it, it repels me, uh, at almost every turn. <laughs> well, and when pe- uh, <laughs> if people say like, Oh, almost famous, that like changed my life. It's like, Oh, what a vapid person. You must be. <laughs> um, um, no offense listeners. Like, if that's you. Yeah. And I've come to like Kate Hudson more as an actress sure. uh, mm-hmm. now, but um, she, I don't think had found her, uh, her instrument, her instrument or her, yeah, her, <laughs> I was going to say sea legs, but I think instrument yeah. is better. I, I think that's a, um, and not a very good performance. I, I, I always feel guilty. I'll talk shit about directors <laughs> all day yeah. long, but I always feel guilty like saying an actor is bad because I've, Especially I have no idea young. what it is to be an actor. Yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah but I don't think, uh, I don't think that's her best work. In almost famous. What, what is her best work? I, no That's offense to her. Question. I just don't think of her very often. I don't know how many films of hers I've seen. Um, um but if, well, okay. So here's the yeah, okay. is she in the holiday? <laughs> You're thinking of Jack Black. <laughs> oh, that's I get, I get those two up. mixed up yes. often. Um, I was going to go there. I was gonna, you know, you're I, thinking of the skeleton key. <laughs> <laughs> um, so, well, here's the thing. Before we actually dig into this i feel like we need to sort of define what indie light means there is a certain style to it Mm -hmm. and you know it's only a matter of time before we arrive at the word quirky Mm -hmm. um because that is something that it's it's reductive but honestly i have no doubt that it that the word is thrown around in studios a lot yeah it's like oh it's very quirky very you know um and so the question is what makes for an indie light film? Because I have a long list here, but a lot of these have question marks next to them. Cause I don't know if they actually qualify. See, okay. And some of the ones that we've even discussed already, I don't know if I would qualify that way. Like what? I, I don't know if I'd consider Kings of summer. Okay. That, but well, wasn't on my list. So no. I'm, I'm clear. <laughs> I'm safe. <laughs> I, well, hang on. I want to let me, I think I put it on my list. Let's say, I, I think I initially would not have put safety, not guaranteed on there either. But now that I think about about it i can kind of see that because because of the actors who are in it mm-hmm. and it definitely has a I, I don't think a quirky sensibility makes something an, an indie light movie but i think a lot of them I, I think it's more when it's the other way around when they're like we have to make this quirky so yeah, that it fits it's, this type when of thing. it's quirky sure. in quotation marks right like exactly sometimes yeah. movies can ha- you know i talk I, I when i'm writing reviews and a movie is quirky in a way that i like i tend to use the word idiosyncratic <laughs> sure because quirky is now like become this yeah it has i'll probably say delightful uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah yeah uh but yeah so much of the quirk seems manufactured yeah Again, I'll use the word calculated. And there's some that may almost now to us, because we've gotten used to this type of thing, seem like it was calculated, 
but it maybe was like the patient zero. Or something like I, I don't yeah. know if Garden State necessarily is this type of thing, but it feels a hundred percent this type of thing well, now, yeah. at least. I think what it is is the movies we're talking about. Because uh, I do think Garden State is this kind of thing. Because I think w- it, there's something telling that almost. I think every movie we've discussed so far has been a 21st century movie. Mm. Because I think this stems from the American independent scene of the 1990s, which did have some authentic quirkiness or idiosyncrasy yeah. um, that really did feel like things that um, weren't getting put into studio mm. studio movies, and that and that happened in. And then that led to, um, you know, like, uh, like swingers is a movie that I think is great. I know. I think there are people who are, uh, feel about swingers the way I do about almost famous, but I think swingers <laughs> is great. Um, I saw it for the first time, like with a few months ago. I still um, haven't seen it. And I think little things like this is kind of what you're talking about. The patient zero type thing. I think the part where he has a conversation with his answering machine. Yeah. If that were in uh, like an independent movie now, that would feel very fakey and, sure. yeah. and, and, and forced, but it was like sort of, it seemed sort of inventive and fun uh, mm-hmm. and interesting in this movie that has been generally realistic to have, have him come home and have a conversation with his answering machine. It's a, it's, it was a, it was a fun, mm-hmm. uh, uh, fun touch. And so I think, um, that's so that's why I do think Garden State is one of these movies. Cause I think you have to go further back to find the patient zero <laughs> and the patients patients zero, if you will, are the American independent uh, successes of the 1990s. I think, you know, as from a from a tonal standpoint, and this is very there's a very intangible idea that I'm about to put out there. I feel like indie light, which I think is now a term that we're going to use uh, disparagingly um, <laughs> from for the rest of the episode. Uh, right, which is why I've bristled every time you've mentioned a movie that I like. Either one of you. <laughs> yeah, it's... I think they're, they're... For me, the ones that I don't like is... There's an element of self-consciousness, but also an element of, can you believe this? Uh-huh. As opposed to you can have movies where characters act in a quirky way, but if you're being honest, if, if you, the, if you're saying, Hey, can you believe this? Then you're standing outside of the characters and you're kind of judging them. You might judge them to be delightful or silly or whatever. Definitely unlike you, uh, but still you're judging them. Whereas I feel like you can have a quirky movie as long as the director is attempting to see things from the perspective of the main character to such a degree that their quirks are just the kind of quirks that everybody has, but theirs are, you know, a bit more unusual, but that's Mm -hmm. okay. So for me, when you say indie light, I think of two movies first and then a bunch of other movies after I think of Juno and little miss sunshine. Those are the two I think of first winners of uh, twin, uh, uh, twin winners of best original screenplay, uh, quirky movies, uh, indie light movies are often nominated for best screenplay. If not, uh, winners. (laughs) That's, that's true. Um, although I mean, that's, I, it's little miss sunshine is on my list uh, as well. Um, even though Jonathan Dayton and Valerie, Fa- F- Valerie Ferris, that's those are their names, right? The directors. Mm. Um, I like them. They made um, well. They made the Smashing Pumpkins 1979 video, which is one of the yeah. best music videos uh, for one of the best songs of the 1990s. <laughs> um, and then they made Can't Hardly Wait, which is uh, I would I was going to say an underrated, but I feel like at this point Can't Hardly Wait has gotten its due. I feel like it didn't necessarily find its audience when it first came out, but now I think people our age look back 
fondly on can't hardly wait i've loved it from the moment i saw it um you're giving me a look you're not obviously not I, as big a fan i was not a big fan no. um i think I there's like empire records with us like uh, i've never no, really responded to it but empire records i i know is terrible okay all right good, good. <laughs> whereas i can well, i can sit down and watch can't hardly wait uh, uh today and still uh, have a blast i think it's a really really good really funny movie um and they made uh, what was the last one they made? It was like Ruby something, not Ruby Tuesday. Ruby Sparks. Ruby Sparks. Um, I heard good things about that. Which actually. is yeah, which looks like this kind of movie, but I think has a little bit more going on, even though yeah. it's not perfect. Mm-hmm. And then their next movie coming out is the Battle of the Sexes, which is about the uh, um, that famous tennis match. Oh yeah, yeah. It's famous to people who know about tennis. I, yeah. Uh, Billy Jean King. That sounds right. Okay. Um, and versus the, like Elvis or something. <laughs> I think it's, yeah, yeah. But it's I think it's Emma Stone and Steve Carell actually um, yeah. are, are going to be in it, and I'm I'm looking forward to that because I mm-hmm. like those directors. So I do think on the one hand I agree with you that Little Miss Sunshine is a shining example of this type of movie. Yeah. I wasn't going to be the first to bring it up because I don't want to mm-hmm. disparage directors that I'm I actually ha- like. Yeah, I'm happy to be the first to bring it up uh, <laughs> just because it's it's weird. Uh, <laughs> I I'm not sure if I'd say I hated the movie because the actors are doing uh, all the actors are doing great stuff. Uh, I'm a big fan of Greg Kinnear. I feel like it's weird that a guy who is just as effortlessly charismatic and good looking as him could so effectively play desperation and insecurity as he often does. Yeah, but he's very good at it. Yes, he um, I guess yeah. he's just desperate and insecure. <laughs> I guess so. Um, that must be it. But uh, and I because think Tony Collette's doing great stuff. For a guy, uh, the thing about Greg Kinnear is for a guy who is as is as charming and good looking as he is, um, he doesn't have uh, that much vanity. Like, yeah, he's not like. Um, I remember I had as much, I like whiplash, but I had problems with Niles Teller's performance because I feel like I could see the actor under the character asking you to to like him. Do you yeah. know what I mean? Like when the character is supposed to be at his most uh, arrogant, despicable or whatever. Um, I still feel like Miles Teller is trying to make excuses for him. Mm-hmm. Whereas I think Greg Kinnear is willing to let his characters be shits, yeah. which you wouldn't expect from like the former host of talk soup, <laughs> right. you know? Um, and so, uh, but yeah, there, I think all the actors are doing really great work. Uh, Alan Arkin obviously did not deserve to win best supporting actor over, uh, Jackie Earl Haley for little children, but we can move on from there. Is little children a good movie. It's been a long time. I, think I, so. I love that really? movie. That's one of my favorite movies of the decade. I think. Okay. I, think, I remember liking it at the time, but I feel like when I look back on it, it looks like it might be a little bit too, uh, too much, uh, uh, what's the German German term? Schadenfreude. Uh, no. Um, oh well. Uh, Sturm und Drang. Oh, that's. Oh, yeah, I yeah. was about to say that. And I was like, that can't be the other one. Um, I I don't think it is. I I feel like it's. Uh, I feel like it's it's appropriately subtle where it needs to be, and I feel like it's that that the whole sequence with Jackie Earl Haley and his mm-hmm. performance is. Uh, I should watch it again. I think it's so well balanced and everything. I. I and I love the way that movie looks too. I'm so bummed that Todd Field hasn't made another movie since. And for a while, he was going to make. He's going to uh, make Blood Meridian. Blood right? Meridian, which I, I would yeah. love that so much, yeah. uh, but doesn't look like it's going to happen. It's unfortunate. Um, it's, uh, but yeah, and so I don't want to completely dismiss Little Miss Sunshine, but just so much. I wonder how much of, how much of my response to indie light films has to do with other people's response to indie light films. There are people I know that love, and I mean loved Little Miss Sunshine. There are people the next year that loved Juno. Roger, Roger Ebert, I think, said it was his favorite movie of that year. Really? Um, 
And and I just and I'm not to say I'm not trying to say that I'm smarter than these people, but for whatever reason, I just see nothing. It's like eating cotton candy to me. These movies, uh, yes, it's there's a it's tasty, but it is not filling and just ultimately nothing. It is a nothing thing, um, and Little Miss Sunshine just requires so much so much forgiveness on my part uh, as somebody who enjoys movies and, and enjoys character pieces and that sort of thing. And then it ends with, and, and throughout it's, it's, it's looking at Alan Arkin's, the stuff this, this old man is saying, it's saying, like, can you believe what he's saying? And then it's, and then they're all dancing at the end. It's like, can you believe what they're doing? It's that. And then uh-huh. every single line in Juno is that. And yeah. Uh, so how do you, you're an Alexander Payne fan. I am. Um, he's got a bit of that, especially with the June Squibb character in Nebraska. Yes. And as is, you know, I'm not a huge fan of Nebraska. Is Nebraska your least favorite Alexander Payne film? Probably. I think it probably is mine as well. Yeah. I feel like about Schmidt. I mean, even with, even when Kathy Bates gets naked, which is, you know, a very bold thing in film. And no point did I feel like he was saying, can you believe this woman? It's more right. just, Oh, it's like a, it's like a relative of yours. Hey, she's yeah. kind of weird, but yeah. what are you going to do? Yeah. He had, he does have, I, I think a lot of what we're coming back to is a lot of these films that we don't like feel dishonest, at least. So I feel yeah. and he, he does have an honesty. Like I think if you, if I'd never heard of sideways and you described the movie to me, I would roll my eyes right out of my head. Sure. But, mm-hmm. uh, I really like sideways. Yeah. Yeah, there's a there is a I think an honesty. Uh, a lot of the movies on on my list that I put question marks next to, I would say they don't count because yeah, they're about offbeat characters, maybe even quirky characters, but it's trying to see the world through their eyes, through their perspective, which means being honest about what it must be to be these people. But my least favorite movie of last year, Demolition, is it's it is exactly what we're talking about it's all these different elements from these like indie light films but mm-hmm. with not an in my opinion not an ounce of honesty it's all manipulation and it's all can you believe what this guy is doing <laughs> sorry i don't know why the person is laughing but there but there seems to be a laughter there <laughs> yeah like so many of these movies are comedic Oh like, yeah, that's a big in, part. Of, like yeah. indie light is very seldom just a straightforward drama. I uh, they're all they're almost all dramedy, right? Like yeah, I feel like that's kind of where that lies because it has to be it has to be a little bit heartfelt, but yeah. it has to be silly at the same time. That's kind of what the quirky thing is. Yeah, it's it's almost like saying like look, sometimes you got to look at life and just laugh at how silly it is, but not too much because life is still very serious. <laughs> and just, it's it's that. Meanwhile, you know, a lot of the work by, say, Martin Scorsese would be classified as drama and obviously other genres, um, but is often very funny, but in the way that you and your friends laughing or just certain things can be funny, it's not self-consciously funny. There's a self-consciousness, there's a humor, there's a, can you believe this attitude to a lot of these movies? Yeah. Well, I wanted to, I wanted to kind of ask like, so David, you talked about there being the independent films of the nineties that kind of mm-hmm. spread on this, but I, I think it's a certain type of film, independent film, I mean, from the nineties. So do, do you have off the top of your head, some of the ones that you'd say are kind of, cause I feel like these movies are all trying to do something they're yeah, trying I to guess be I wish something I, had, uh, I thought of maybe ghost world do you feel like that would be one of the ones that that's, that's, that's even 2001 this i yeah, know that's it's, uh, it's, it's, it's a great movie that's but i'm wondering um, if that's the type of movie that's kind of what these other ones want to be 
Yeah, yeah, maybe maybe you're right. Like, uh, yeah, that that because Ghost World still feels a little bit dangerous. Yeah. Mm. Um, maybe virgin also, suicides. But yeah, those are these are based on things. That's the other thing. Uh, so, like, true. if they are successful, they are they are not borrowing. I don't mean to say that Sofia Coppola or, or Terry Zweigoff or, or whoever is not bringing something to it, but it's something that has already been proven as effective in another medium. Mm -hmm. Whereas I feel like a lot of, uh, indie light films are, I don't know. I feel like they, they are quote unquote original. Mm. Okay. And maybe, maybe that's a difference. Like, is that, is that enough of a difference that there's something that doesn't ring true about them because they're trying to, uh, approximate something else that, in another film came from a, a, a fuller source material. It's I don't possible. Know. Uh, maybe the, 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 the quirk, or I think, um, the thing you, your, your laughing character Tyler yeah. does, <laughs> which is kind of a, like, uh, uh, faux outrageousness. Sure. Maybe that comes from a heavily watered down John Waters, Greg Araki, like type of sure. uh, history. Hmm. Like we saw, I mean, even, you know, John Waters in the nineties is kind of this kind of movie. Like, I mean, he, you know, like, like, like Pecker or a dirty shame, I guess is 2003 or whatever. Yeah. Um, or Cecil B. Demented, like yeah. these, those are, you know, better serial mom, maybe. A um, bit. see serial mom's great, I think. And I also think Cecil B. Demented is, is quite good, but, um, those are still in terms of their outrageousness. They're have, they're no, nowhere near what he was doing, sure. uh, mm-hmm. 20 years before. And so I think maybe that's what, the, where this, uh, that outrageousness sort of trickled down to the bottom of the basin and it settled and became this very safe uh, laughing. Can you believe what, what they're yeah. doing uh, type of thing? Well, I think obviously if we're talking about the nineties, then Kevin Smith uh, helped shape this a lot like clerks, which is a movie that I still stand by to, to a certain degree because honestly, I just said, honestly, I think that film is honest. I think that's him. Uh, though it has all these little flourishes that I don't care for, it's it's a guy who's in this position of working these crappy little jobs, trying to think like, well, what does it mean to be doing this, and what is is this okay to do with my life, or am I just am I trying to find some nobility as an excuse to just be lazy and live mm-hmm. this life? So I feel like there's a genuine exploration there, and then Mallrats, the studio plucked this guy up and then and had him just make this silly comedy. But then Chasing Amy comes along, and that fits more into what we're talking about. There's a drama. There's mm-hmm. a comedy. There are characters doing things that are kind of strange and goofy, and uh, there's a knowing element to it. There's, uh, I don't know. I it's. I I, I, I recently was listening to a, a rant by from that's many years old. It's it's over ten years old by uh, Tom Sharpling about Kevin Smith, in which he just uh, was. Oh right, you sent me that. Yeah. Oh, yeah. you should listen to it. You would. I, I have listened yeah. to it. It's probably been close to ten years. Yeah. Yeah. He he did it when Clerks Two came out. So that's yeah. quite a while ago. <laughs> and so, um, but yeah. And so, you know, so many a movie. I I've said this uh, before that I remember the Oscars in '97 for '96. So, you know, we're talking English Patient, Fargo, Secrets and Lies, Shine, Sling Blade, like uh, indie films, um, and it was. 
and Billy Crystal, his joke was, it's like, this is the year of the indie film, just very small movies. And he said, he goes, and so obviously next year we're going to see Hollywood make indie movies for a hundred million dollars. Right. <laughs> and that's, that's very much where you get indie light is you get indie films, which have a sincerity to them, sometimes off-puttingly so, uh, there's a sincerity to them, but with a certain Hollywood sheen. Mm -hmm. Um, And if it's not in the budget, then it could be what you're talking about with more recent films, which is the Hollywood sheen is anticipating (laughs) what the person could be allowed to do later. Right. Mm -hmm. Um, Before we move on, uh, you mentioned Kevin Smith. The other thing that I think has become uh, standard to these movies that very much comes from the nineties from Kevin Smith and Quentin Tarantino and on TV from Joss Whedon and Kevin Williamson is uh, the idea that all the characters are hyper pop culture literate sure. at all mm-hmm. time. Everyone like there's this sort of like base level of pop culture knowledge that yeah. everyone seems to have. And that's how you end up in something with something like Juno, yeah. um, which is um, so mannered and affected in its yeah. dialogue um, that it's a big part of what drives a lot of people away from it, including me. Yes, indeed. indeed. Um, so I have another topic subtopic. Okay. <laughs> well, uh, so the reason that we were starting to define this, and I'm not sure if we ever actually did, but the reason we wouldn't, started we wouldn't to be battleship retention if we said <laughs> we said a bunch of words <laughs> and individually our sentences made sense, um, but uh, that came about from this idea of filmmakers who are good and successfully operate within this world, but not in a way that makes us roll our eyes or frustrate us or anything mm-hmm. like that. And I believe who did, who did you say was like the, Oh, Cameron Crowe. Cameron Crowe. Right. I would say David O. Russell is somebody who, I mean, spanking the monkey is definitely, it's not necessarily, it, it's not this level of indie light because there's some stuff that's genuinely dark, but flirting with flirting disaster. With disaster flirting with I'd say I heart yeah. Huckabee's silver linings playbook is probably the most indie light thing he's made. And even then there's an honesty there. Mm-hmm. I never saw silver linings playbook. I would uh, object to I heart, I heart Huckabee's because that movie is too, uh, specifically weird. Yeah, you know I, I mean? guess. Well, and that's the thing is why, because I don't think like you're saying, I don't think there's some, I don't think that David Russell is laughing and saying, can you believe how weird these characters are? He's yeah. letting them no. he's and taking them with honesty. Yeah. I don't think that with, with flirting with disaster either. I mean that like he, he navigates, he's in this world, but not of it. I see. Um, okay. He manages to make like the good version of what we're talking about. Because I, I do feel that way about Silver Linings Playbook. Because that came to my mind, especially because it does have like a dance thing at the end, which yeah. has kind of become a staple of these movies somehow, yeah. which is kind of ridiculous. But uh, I didn't wait. I, I didn't. I've never. I haven't seen Silver Linings Playbook. Yeah. When you say it has a dance thing, there's like a there's a big dance scene. In oh, okay. It. This yeah. isn't like the end of Four Year Old Virgin where they all like sing Age of Aquarius over the closing <laughs> credits, which no. I love, by the way. No, no, it's it's as part of the movie. <laughs> okay, yeah, <laughs> and it's something they're at least like rehearsing for and stuff. It's it not, is as opposed to like Little Miss Sunshine, where the girl is doing the dance, but then the whole family comes together family. on stage where they shouldn't be and start yeah. dancing. But yes, I, I yeah. can you believe they're doing can that? <laughs> Do people hate that as much as I hate the uh, Jim and Pam wedding in the office? I just realized I hate those for the same reason. Oh. It's oh, the yeah, same the, the, thing. They shouldn't. Why are they dan- Why are her coworkers the only people that anyone's paying attention yeah. to at the wedding? Why are they dancing yeah. down the aisle she multiple times? They both have family. Yeah, and friends. Why are they focused? Why is the rest of everyone just sitting down and being like, "Who are these people?" And yeah. why have they been in the aisle for the last thirty minutes? Oh, they're people I'm paid to sit next to. <laughs> 
<laughs> and thus the most important right. people in my life. Uh, I, I see what you mean. I think it bothers. I stopped watching before that. <laughs> uh, that's a probably yeah. a good call. I, I did part. too, but I had the misfortune of seeing that episode. I, I hate hate that episode of television. <laughs> um, but uh, but sorry, I derailed this for a minute. Uh, yeah, and so I just um, so David O. Russell is somebody I f- I feel like opera like I said operates in this world and and does and does a lot of these things but does it without he does it without the attitude mister um and i don't know so i I, indie light is a thing that we are is a term we are using in the pejorative Uh but it is possible to use a lot of these tropes in a way that is effective right so well yeah i I guess these bad versions i guess what makes them light is that they are echoes of better movies um okay Mm -hmm. one last subcategory i want to get to and this is one i uh, particularly dislike but i don't have a great number of examples um uh, there was one that just played at sundance this year called la times which i uh, abhorred um this is what i'm gonna call the uh post-gentrification indie light which is kind of a, a counterpart to like the yuppie movies like saint almost fire or tv like 30 something okay. from the 80s um which is basically like characters who are still generally like young but are but tend but now belong to a you know a higher tax bracket and live in urban centers and spend their time just um even though they clearly must have jobs because they have made something of themselves in their lives they spend their time constantly wringing their hands about their relationships and each other's relationships and it all feels very very false um the number one i mentioned way at the beginning um one of my least favorite movies of the past few years is celeste and jesse forever um i don't know if either one of you uh saw that one i did not um and then there was Lola Verses, another movie that um, no one saw. Um, and then I would also include last year's uh, Hello, My Name is Doris, uh, even though that has other, uh, you know, Sally Fields characters, obviously not the 30-something like yeah. uh, person that I'm talking about, but the the, the milieu in which the world t- takes place, uh, in which, or in which the movie takes place, is um, uh, what I'm talking about. I don't know. It feels like this is just something that sticks in my craw. Cause you guys haven't seen any of these movies. Yeah. I feel like I haven't, I can't think of anything that's like, I mean, the closest thing that is kind of coming to my mind is something like, like girls ish. Is that in that world to you? I, uh, I guess, I mean, the, the, the girls characters, I haven't seen the, the show since season two actually. Um, but they're a little bit younger than I'm, what I'm, what I'm talking about. Okay. Um, cause I'm talking about characters who are, our age essentially mm-hmm. um, right. you know who uh sort of like, established yeah like us you know have jobs and cars if they live in los angeles or you mm-hmm. know well i know one that that you've given as an example but i haven't seen is this is 40 um who people that are obviously older than us and, but, but and that's i mean this is 40 is a uh a debacle all its own at least like this is 40 it managed to be manages mm. to be specific and distinct in how awful i think it is okay. uh in that it is so directly a result of judd apatow's tone deafness okay um like the idea that like about it's about two characters who are like we're having big money problems let's go to a let's go spend the weekend in wine country at a resort <laughs> to so we can talk it. over our money problems yeah. like that's uh, that, uh yeah that's ridiculous plus Judd Apatow lives in Los Angeles. He should know not to buy into the bullshit stereotype that you can have a pool party in December around Christmas time. It's like, yes, it 
doesn't get as it doesn't get as cold here but no one's going swimming in los angeles if somebody told me they were having a pool party in december i'd be like where are you going to where where?" yeah all the pools are covered like it's (laughs) yeah there's still water in your pool yeah yeah, Um, exactly uh so maybe i just thought of another one that might kind of fit that is the and going with judd apatow again is the love show that one because that's another one i haven't seen but that's probably that seems that's people in their 30s who are right I think they're people who are chasing bigger things in their lives, but at least are established. But kind oh, of the right. biggest thing in, to them seems to be in, in the TV world. I would say um, the short-lived HBO show Togetherness, which a lot of people really liked and just did not. I could not click mm-hmm. with is very much the kind of thing mm-hmm. that I'm that I'm talking about. It's yeah. like let's try to make something like that seems you know indie and idiosyncratic, and idiosyncratic and whatever, but. Uh, part of it is motivated by the guilt we have that we're like successful and boring. Now we're not who we were, uh, 10 years ago. Maybe that's part of it. And maybe I'm projecting. There's, there's a, uh, uh, (laughs) there's an, there's an example of this that I'm thinking of, but I really love it, which is the last days of disco, which is, uh, these, these very much yuppies who are in their Mm -hmm. probably early thirties, maybe even late twenties. And they're just, so self-absorbed, but the film knows they're self-absorbed and is, right. and is finding right. humor in how oblivious they are to other people's yeah. circumstances. Which is, I think all the films in that trilogy are so enjoyable yeah. because it, 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 it doesn't hate those characters ever. They're always treated kind of lovingly, but they're yeah. seen, they're shown as naive. Um, even though they often think they're the least naive people in the room. Yeah, it's. I wish I had more examples of of this subcategory, but I think I might have a subcategory of okay. my own. Okay. Oh. Uh, which is the idea, and you know what? The more I look at the movies on my list, I think I think I've hit on something here, at least for me, and that is the the concept of too pure for this world. Juno, the character, mm-hmm. she does things her own way. She is too pure for this world. The entire family oh, in Captain yeah. Fantastic, too pure for this world. The character in Demolition, uh, not, not Demolition Man, <laughs> he is too pure for this world in my opinion, but the, the character in Demolition, like he's a guy who, who, is, who is starting to be aware of larger things and not buying into the bullshit man. Do you know, I'd say American Beauty might have kicked this off. Oh, yeah. Um, Do you know, speaking of Demolition yeah. Man. Okay, okay. A lot of people, a lot, you hear people say stuff like, where are the... Where are the rocket packs? Where are the flying cars we were supposed to get yeah. in the future? Uh, I'm like, when are all restaurants going to be Taco Bell? <laughs> I would be so happy if all restaurants were Taco Bell. Is that part of Demolition Man? I've never seen oh, that film. Yeah. It's yes. actually pretty good. From a sci-fi standpoint, Standpoint, it's not bad. Uh, it's been a long time since I've seen it. I probably wasn't thinking about it in those terms at the time. But yeah, it has stuff like the way that technology depersonalizes relationships such as like yeah. people don't have sex anymore they put on vr headsets no. and have vr sex with each other <laughs> yeah um but the thing with the three shells is really stupid yeah that's dumb it's really dumb yeah but um, yeah, they can't all be winners and in the end it is just demolition man but um <laughs> i would i would put maybe did anybody see the art of getting by uh maybe no. this kind of Mm-mm. yeah that might be but this, i remember how much you of, hated that um and also maybe me and earl and the dying girl i was gonna about to say that one that kind of feels like that a little bit 
and I that one's a little too recent. Like, it, I don't want to talk about me and Neuralink. I mean, Neuralink because the, on the bile starts to rise up a <laughs> little bit. Too. Like, I'm, I'm still mad about that movie somehow. Um, and not not all of these uh, fit into that, but you'll you'll find it a lot. In the ones that I find particularly insufferable, it's to me, it's not unlike. And I, oh, and the idea of the you know, uh, as Nathan Rabin would say, the the manic pixie dream girl. It's a girl that is often too pure for this world, right. and our you know sad sack male protagonist gets <laughs> caught up in that yeah which i think yeah. that nathan raven was describing what was he describing what was it was a camera camera chrome movie oh i don't remember i associated with natalie portman in garden state but That's i think i think it was before I think that of, yeah okay um, but yeah, well, there was Elizabeth Town. Uh, uh, man, man, boy, there sure was. That's that movie is a mess. Cameron Crowe movie. Um, I, I, I think Almost Famous is the only Cameron Crowe movie that I like. I like Vanilla Sky. <laughs> I like Vanilla Sky. Vanilla Sky's I, okay. Uh, I like Jerry Maguire a lot. I don't like Jerry Maguire. Um, yeah. I'll, uh, I'll swap with you on that one. I like Say Anything. Yeah. I like I've never anything. seen Say Anything. I, I might like that one. I like it. Don't love it. Um, and he, of course, wrote Fast Times Original High, which is a good movie. <laughs> Uh, so uh, to me, the idea of the too pure for this world thing, first off, <laughs> all of that seems like a takeoff of Harvey, uh, uh-huh. where yeah. there's this guy oh who is, who sees things that nobody else does. He's also clearly an alcoholic, um, <laughs> right? <laughs> he's drinking constantly. Uh, but, and by all accounts, he should be put in a mental hospital. But then the, then the film suggests that Harvey is actually uh, in the play. I was in the play as uh, suggests that Harvey is real. So everything's fine. But, um, <laughs> no, sorry, sorry. There is still this, uh, <laughs> demon bunny running around, but at least Elwood P doubt is not crazy. Um, that's like a Donnie Darko prequel, right? I think, yes, <laughs> I think so. Um, yeah, probably the uh, fact that uh, Frank is a bunny probably. Yeah. I'm sure it's um, not a coincidence, but this idea of, of people that there is probably something mentally wrong with them. It might, it might not be like they need to be locked up or anything like that, but, uh, and that this thing makes them kind of quirky maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, and it feels to me almost like those movies with the, uh, there's something Josh and I have talked about on a number of, uh, episodes, the idea of the noble savage, mm. uh, the idea that, Oh, these people who, live a, a simpler life. Oh, they're the ones that have it figured out. Obviously I'm not going to live the way they do, but they have it so figured out. And it's like, maybe this person who's crazy, maybe they're the only sane one. And it's just oh, like yeah. that kind okay. of horse shit. So there's a movie, there's a movie I wrote down here, um, that, uh, I'm glad you brought up this subcategory, uh, of the mental illness thing, because there's an Australian movie from like five years ago called, uh, Griff the invisible in which oh, Ryan Quanton yes. from True Blood plays an adorably mentally ill man who is convinced he's a superhero. Uh, but it's all so adorable because Ryan Quanton is so cute. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> and um, I found that movie repugnant for a lot of the hmm. reasons, the exact, the exact reasons you're talking what about. What was the one with, is it Hugh Dancy? And he plays like, I, it's Adam something? Yeah, I never oh, saw that Oh, yes. One. Yeah. I didn't see it, but at the same time, like, it's weird. Uh, you know, Kevin Spacey in American Beauty, which is a uh, similar to a lot of these movies, but I think a, a better film. But he is uh, dealing with a midlife crisis like that is a, a serious emotional breakdown. Uh, the character in Demolition, his wife has died and he is not able to deal with it. Like it takes these very serious emotional and sometimes mental problems that need to be dealt with. And I, I don't say dealt with as though like 
oh, the person just needs to get over it and fix it and move on. It's not that obviously it's sometimes it's a, it's a process, but these are things that need to be addressed as opposed to, no, it's fine. This person just sees things differently because of this experience. Well, yeah, sometimes crazy people see things differently. That doesn't mean they're not crazy. Mm-hmm. And to, to hold this up as like this ultimate great thing is something that I find very patronizing um, and something that's very lazy on top of everything else. Yeah, which the way you've been talking about that and then thinking again of the Manic Pixie Dream Curl kind of led me back to somebody else who kind of maybe lives in this world a little bit but does it well, which is Spike Jones. And sure. um, I feel like... Uh, in so many ways, uh, uh, Eternal Sunshine of the Spotless Mind could be one of these movies, but I think is That's not. Michelle Gondry. Uh, didn't didn't Spike Jones write that? No, or you're thinking of uh, uh, what's his name? Uh, I'm getting mixed uh, up. Charlie with? Kaufman. Charlie Kaufman. Okay, right. maybe maybe I'm thinking of yes. more Charlie Kaufman, but they're he, all. I have a theory. They're all the same guy. <laughs> <laughs> um, but but, uh, but but they do all operate in that kind of weird uh, surreal quirky uh environment and i think for michelle gondry he more is just interested in pure surrealism and kind of incorporating that into the the regular everyday world but maybe charlie kaufman is more who i'm thinking of with this one because uh that character clementine Mm -hmm. yeah that could easily just be the manic pixie dream girl but in so many ways she's not yeah and i think maybe even she wants to be that like she somehow wants to be that ideal but uh, I think the film presents her as a clearly broken person. Maybe there's well, an element of mental illness or d- at least depression yeah. there. Mm-hmm. And, and I, I think that it takes that seriously and uh, kind of presents that as that that's one of the central blocks for these characters and, and thus becomes very important for the movie that she's not perfect. And you know, that's interesting that you put it that way because it puts me in mind of Francis Ha which now she's the lead, so she doesn't really fit Manic Pixie Dream Girl. But I feel like so ma- there are a number of movies that deal with the types of characters and issues that Indie Light does, but does it in a different way. Mm-hmm. And I almost invariably love those movies. Oh, I yeah. love Francis. Francis House is fantastic. And yeah. that character seems like she could exist in one of these movies and be too pure for this world. But no. She does things her own way, certainly, but they don't always turn out great for her. You know, it, it it's a thing she has to live with being quirky and eccentric. It's, you know, she has to, to navigate this as do the people around her. Mm. Um, and so I think what what we're dealing with here is the honesty of what it, what it would be to be someone who is, you know, to go back to that term too pure for this world. It's like, yeah, they're not actually, they mm-hmm. still have to live in this world. And yeah. what does that look like? Yeah. And along those lines, even though I'm not a huge fan of dope, I would say that it is honest about its main character. Okay. And, and while the, the film is kind of silly in a lot of ways, and I really don't like the note it ends on, I feel like it's, it's, it's taking his situation seriously and his, his dilemmas seriously. Um, we should have an eye towards wrapping up. Should yeah. we maybe just, run down anything on our list we didn't get to sure you know what i did have this thought this goes all the way back to the beginning and i'm curious to know what you guys think i feel like because now this could be fun like predicting who who are the indie filmmakers that hollywood's gonna snatch up and i feel like (laughs) i feel like based on swiss army man i feel like the daniels are like ripe yeah okay Right for the picking by Hollywood. I think I not, but yeah, you're I, I right. wouldn't be surprised if that happens. I think generally they go more for something that's kind that that has a little bit of a genre element. 
I but, guess. But you could maybe say that that film does like, because it's got, I, mean, I think it's level of ambition shows mm-hmm. that like, Oh, these are indie guys, these guys with an indie sensibility. And I like Swiss army, man. I don't mean to say it's indie light, but like, I don't like, it. um, there are things I, I think it has major third act issues, but up until then I like it a lot. Um, and I love its score. BP nominated, by the way. Uh, so, so you know, it's got some pep up there. It's got up some there with the best. I don't mind telling you. Um, but that's one where it's like, oh, there's this movie has an indie sensibility, but look at what they're able to do with like certain special effects and certain you know so, kind of action sequences. Like, oh, they could absolutely direct a, a blockbuster. So I feel like they would la- they would latch yeah. to it for that reason. I can see that. Um, but yeah, so okay, so we're gonna go down these lists, and again, remember, not all of these on my list uh, are things that I think absolutely fit into this, but uh, okay. some of them have question marks next. Okay, to them. Mm-hmm. Um, some of them fun. might be a, a variation. So okay, Patterson. I don't think it fits, but if you were to tweak it a little bit, it could. Patterson could be seen as somebody that's too pure for this world, or his girlfriend. But yeah, it's I guess, not. But I think. It goes back to when we started the conversation about how many of these are are first or second features. Yeah, and that's I feel true. Like I'm bringing my knowledge of Jim Jarmusch to yeah. Patterson, and, and it's, mm-hmm. it doesn't yeah. even occur to me in that sense. Yeah. Yeah. And and these are just things that these are movies that were brought up by this topic. They don't all fit. Um, I hate extremely loud and incredibly close, which I know I think it was based on a book, but you have a main character who is, uh, there are things mentally wrong with him. He's dealing with grief. There's a nine 11 thing, but there's also like quirk and goofy things. And, and as much as, as good as Max von Cito is in the film, his character doesn't talk. Instead, he, he's written yes and no on his hands and he'll like hold them up, mm-hmm. uh, depending on what you're asking him. And it's like, okay, that fits. Uh, and okay. that is a film that I think qualifies quite a bit. Um, and then, uh, that, that uh, to connect to that, I think that's the same guy who wrote is, is the, the book, everything is illuminated written by the same author. What's oh, the connection between those yeah, two? Or I think, am I imagining I, that? I, I think you're, you're right. And, and I think and that, that one fits, I think the category in delight. I think that movie could definitely fit, even though I, um, kind of enjoyed everything is illuminated. <laughs> Um, I seem to recall enjoying it. I don't remember much about it. Now, here's one that, for me, definitely qualifies, but I know people like it. And Josh, I think you like it. Oh. It is Lars and the Real Girl. I think that qualifies. Uh, I like and, the music. I never saw the I, movie, but I, I, I have this. <laughs> that bought the soundtrack because <laughs> I like the music. I think it could qualify. I think something about it is so... I almost feel like it's too simplistic to be the type of one of those that I don't like. It does have one big conceit, you know, like as a right. person, so many of these have like three or four different goofy, weird things going mm-hmm. on. Whereas this has one and everything around it is normal. Right. But it is Harvey like in that regard. It is. Um, and that people are willing to humor him and that sort of thing. But I, yeah. I, I didn't find it charming. I found it uh, off-putting mm-hmm. in the way that I tend to find these movies well, off-putting. And I, I don't even know that that movie's supposed to be charming, really. I don't think it is. I think it's kind of like, he's he's a nice guy, but he's weird. And like, how does everyone around him deal with that? And can he actually love another person? Or is he 
too mentally ill. Because I, I don't think it sees him as too pure for this world. I think you could read it that way, but I don't think it really does. This might actually be an instance where I'm responding more to other people's response to it, mm. which tends it to be, be simplistic, and they find it charming. Yeah. Speaking of Ryan Gosling, Tyler, do you remember a movie called The United States of Leland? Yes, I do. <laughs> we saw a, that in the theater. Yes, that was yeah, not a good movie. Not a good movie. <laughs> um, but I, you know what? I did have a thought as far as like, cause I mentioned Harvey and like old time movies with characters that are too pure for this world. But one that I love is a thousand clowns, which it was based on a play, mm-hmm. but, um, that one definitely fits, yeah, fits the bill. Movie. And if, and you know, if someone were to make that into a movie, I feel like it would be very difficult to not spill into certain, uh, certain tones that, right. that mm-hmm. overlap with what we're talking about. Yeah. So there are a lot of more movies on my list, but I'm fine with, the, okay. with putting those. I only have a few more that I didn't get to. Um, one, something that came up just last week or a couple weeks ago, or maybe on a movie journal, um, wrist cutters. I couldn't find a way to get it uh, in, yeah. but that is like quirky uh, to the extreme. Yeah. Um, uh, let's see what else. Um, um, Welcome to Collinwood, uh, which was the oh, first Russo Brothers movies who, movie hmm. who have gone on to uh, interesting uh, make uh, two Captain America movies. Yeah. Um, so they had the longer journey, I guess. They got to. Uh, yeah. They made a, a bit of a splash with a, what I think is a really um, garish and dreadful feature. <laughs> um, I don't know if either <laughs> you saw Welcome to Collinwood. I, I don't like it. But uh, then they got to go hone their skills uh, in TV and made they made uh, they made Yumi and Dupree, which I never saw. Mm. Um, Real quick, the, one thing, oh. one good thing about because uh, I was trying to remember, and I and in fact I did. One good thing about Risk Cutters is that it inter- introduced me to uh, Gogol Bordello. Um, yes, which yeah. I did like Eugene that. Hutz, right? Yes. Mm. Uh, is well, Eugene Hutz is the actor. Wait, are you thinking of wrist cutters? Or are you thinking did I say of every, wrist cutters? Yeah, everything is illuminated. Oh, sorry, sorry, yeah, yeah. I was everything say. is sorry. Wrist cutters is the one that uh, features the Shea Wiggum as a character who they play Goko Bordello, I believe, in their car. Okay, like through the roof and okay, and, yeah. But then everything but, is illuminated. Eugene Hutz's character he is, is in the film. Is supposed to, uh, yeah, he is the guy from Go Wardell. Is that right? I think so, yeah. 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 Okay. It should be noted. It's been a long time. The the sensibility of these two movies is causing us to forget (laughs) which one is which, which I think speaks poorly of both. Yeah. But anyway. I've only seen the one, so it's easier for me to keep track, but. Um, One, I'd love to get your guys' perspective on this movie, Saved. Uh, I think fits. Um, yeah, I think that fits. Not a fan. I don't care for the film. Uh, I'm not sure if it, I, I'm not sure if I would say it fits, but I haven't seen it in a while. I feel like it does because I feel like it has a lot of those characters that are like it, that. Feels like Kevin Smith light to me. Sure. Yeah. Okay. Like there's these characters that are like kind of tough characters, but like tough in not a real way. Tough in like a. I'll say something smart, Alki. Can you believe that? That kind of thing. I haven't heard the term smart alecky in a while. Thanks, Josh. <laughs> yeah, my, my dad used to say that a lot yeah. about me. <laughs> um, and then I, uh, another sort of subcategory I had thought, to, thought of, but I could only really think of one, is like directors who we otherwise like, but have made one <laughs> such movie. And I really, really disliked Your Sister's Sister. Oh, I didn't see uh, it. The Lynn, Lynn who, Shelton movie. Oh, Lynn Shelton, okay. Um, who did I haven't Day, seen that course. one. Um, yeah. Okay. Well, then I know I, I won't go too far into it. Uh, I, but I, mm. uh, I, I didn't care for that movie. Uh, there's a lot of Duplass. 
I like the Duplass brothers. I really do. But they seem to show up uh, in in relation to a lot of these movies a lot of the time. But I, I, yeah. because I because I tried to stick to stuff I didn't like. I didn't include Duplass stuff that I like, like Jeff who lives at Jeff home. who lives at home. Jeff. Seems feels like it could kind of fit into this yeah, category. But, but I, I do to really like that movie. Yeah, and I think there's a. I don't know. I'm trying to think what sets it apart. And maybe it is a little more honesty. It definitely feels more honesty than something more honest than something like Little Miss Sunshine. Right. Yeah. Um, um, have you ever seen yeah. the, speaking of honesty, the trailer for Jeff who lives at home is like, it's the trailer for the worst version of Jeff. Who, it's like <laughs> if Jeff who lives at home were this kind of movie, that would be, it would be like the movie that is sold in that trailer. It's a very bad trailer. And I wonder how many people uh, were turned off by it yeah. uh, because it makes the movie seem so lame anyway. Yeah. Cause I, I was also thought of Joe Swanberg a little bit. I don't think that his films really fit in here either, but you could maybe see that some of them do. Yeah. I guess maybe yeah, I guess, I, you know, we're getting into the quote unquote mumble, mumble core uh, yeah. stuff quite yeah. a bit here, um, which I feel like deserves its own episode. Have we, have we done an episode on I don't quote unquote so. mumble core. I, I refuse to actually, I know uh, <laughs> uh, uh, acknowledge that, that mumble core is a real thing. <laughs> um, anyway, uh, what's on your list, Josh? Um, I, we've talked about most of the ones that I had, okay. but I, 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 one that I'm seeing here now and hadn't quite thought of, but I think my count is, uh, Again, it's a film that I like, so I don't know if I should shouldn't count it. But Hunt for the Wilder People is kind of that type of thing. <sighs> I I thought of including it. Really, um, I just that movie's so pure. I I think that movie's great. Yeah. Uh, so I I, I I think it's yeah. good too. But I I feel like it has a lot of those elements. Like I think it is a little bit quirky. It's a little bit fun. It's it's not hard to digest. I don't know. And again, yeah, but again, it feels honest. It, yeah. It doesn't feel like even like in the hands of one of these directors that we were saying, we don't like to make these things. The, the, the moment with the, with the Ricky Baker song, you know, mm-hmm. uh, the song that she, the character's name is Ricky Baker. Oh, his yes, adopted yeah, yeah, mom yeah. writes a song for him for his birthday. Mm-hmm. I feel like that could be cloying and really off putting in the wrong hands, but it's an incredibly sweet moment yeah. in yeah. the movie. Um, I'm getting emotional just thinking about it. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think if I have, Anything else here? Well, you know what? Uh, here, Tyler and I will do our plugs. We'll come back to you, okay. and you can do your <laughs> okay. plugs in, in your last movies. Um, uh, again, the, the 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 premium sale, the the ten year anniversary premium sale, is going on uh, for the rest of March uh, over at battleshipretention.com. Um, that's where you can find that stuff. Is where you can find all of our written stuff, all of the other podcasts in the BP fleet, and uh, all kinds of fun stuff going on every day at battleshipretention.com. You can email us at david at battleshipretention.com or tyler at battleship pretension.com you can follow me david on twitter at davy pretension you can follow tyler at tyler pretension now tyler has a couple other podcasts mm-hmm. well what will fill us in so there's more than one lesson and this week we're talking about uh, rogue one uh just recorded that uh and then uh worth playing for is is uh back in business uh and then i also did want to mention as i said last week uh my kickstarter is still going it's going to be going until april 15th uh and it is so that i can publish a uh, a book of reviews and essays called worth watching that i will be selling through more than one lesson but also at the various tables and stuff that i have at film festivals and and conventions and such so uh we are funded at this point uh 150 percent 
which is great, but we also have weeks left and yeah, keep honest, going. yeah. And the, the more money we get, it's not going into my pocket. It is going back into the project so that I can order more copies or yeah. get better, honestly, higher quality material for the books themselves. Yeah. And if you so, donate 20 books, you get the book. Exactly. Ah, that's what I did. So, um, and you can find that at more than one lesson. Okay. Oh, yes, thank you, by the way. Uh, that's what I was fishing for. Right. <laughs> uh, Josh, uh, any plugs or any more movies you want to mention? Um, I, I will go with a few quick plugs. I, a film that I worked on called Into the Who Knows, which features Macon Blair, among other people, is at the Dallas International Film Festival. Uh, I believe it's April 1st and 2nd it's showing. So if you happen to be in the Dallas area, check that out. It's a cool movie. Um, and I had something else, but then I forgot about it. Uh, maybe I'll come back to that while I say one Frank, that movie. Oh, I love that movie. That could maybe <laughs> be in there. I'd say that it could qualify seeing as how that guy wears that big dumb head. Yeah. But and it has the mental illness thing yeah. again, but, but I think it takes it seriously because That's of the, the way it ends. It, I think yes, if it ended differently, exactly. it might not be. Yeah. Um, and then I'll say a really good movie. I struck by lightning. <laughs> I thought you were going to mention <laughs> that. Tyler's <laughs> least favorite movie of the 21st oh, century so far. Oh, Would you say gosh. it's your least favorite movie of the 21st century so far? It's up there that okay. or maybe demolition. Okay. But let's not forget saving Christmas. But that is almost it. that is almost noble in its weird exper- <laughs> its accidental experimentation. Um, oh my gosh! Struck by lightning. That is that fits everything we are talking about, <laughs> including a, 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 a character that is too pure for this world. So he was taken out of this world by God Himself with <laughs> lightning. Oh, what a piece of shit that movie is! No, thank you. <laughs> Uh, where, where where can people find you on Twitter? Uh, you can find me at the Josh Long. I'm also on Letterboxd. I usually plug that on here because I enjoy Letterboxd a lot. That's a lot of fun. I'm also at the Josh Long on there. All right. Uh, thank you, Josh, for being here. Yeah, thank you for having me. Thank you at home for listening. We'll catch you next time. Bye. Bye. This program is a proud member of the Battleship Pretension Fleet. 